at you, glowing like a solar fire. You're something special, Jim. You're gonna podcast the stars you are. Now, Griff, this is just in your wheelhouse. You're, you're back where you feel comfortable, I feel. After weeks of singing, uh, you know, sometimes... Biting off more than I could chew. Right, sometimes like trying to take on a lot, in a, you know, but here, here, a salty, a salty pirate, space pirate. Excuse me, a salty old cyborg. A salty old space dog. Not literally, I mean, he's literally he's like a dog alien, right? He's like a cyborg dog alien. It's unclear. Was actually trying to figure that out. Yes, what what is he <laughs> supposed to be? I I think he's sort of supposed to be the same species as Doppler because if you look, it's. The design is so weird, it's hard to tell, but he's got little like dog ears poking out from under his bandana. He does. And his nose kind of has a little little brownishness at the tip. It looks a little like a dog nose. Yeah, he could be like a like a Doberman, right? You know, like a sort of a big droopy dog or something. I don't know. But but it's tough because he's also uh, very uh, fat. He's a big boy. And uh, he's a cyborg. And those become the, the two defining characteristics in a way. He's got robot bits. He's got row bits, literally. Some of his bits are, are row. Yeah. Now listen to me, blank check. You got the <laughs> makings of greatness in you. But you got to take the helm and chart your own course. I, I, I agree, John. Six years in, we still, it's just the makings of greatness. The makings of greatness. What, what about it's such a bizarre casting choice too. Brian Murray as John Silver. But yeah, you got Brian Murray, who's like a South African theater actor who has like five movie credits total, like barely worked on camera, worked very little on TV, got a number of Tony nominations in his lifetime. And they're just like, you're the linchpin of this entire movie. Um, yeah, he's, he's got great. Two. It's a great performance. He's very good. That must be why, right? Like he must have just come in and knocked their socks off or something. But uh, he's got two video games to his credit, though. Uh, Treasure Planet. Mm-hmm. And I just looked this up. The other one's called like Treasure Planet Race to Halcyon or something. Battle at Prokyon, whatever that is. It's got skirmishes. Epic 3D ship battles. Right. It's five years later when Jim is an admiral and it's a fucking ship battle game. Sounds pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Folks, this is a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their career and give a series of blank checks, make whatever crazy passion projects they want. Sometimes those checks clear and sometimes they bounce baby. And of course, the podcast is called Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. I'm David. You 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 went from a, a different angle, but that's okay. You went through a portal or something. It wasn't deliberate. It was it was an accidental uh, a temporal pincer movement. Right. You got you just got so excited to explain the premise of our show. I did. Uh, also, uh, my my brain is per- perpetually in a turnstile these days. Doing great. Doing great. But this is a miniseries on the films of Musker and Clements, the Disney directors. Their career works as a pretty good microcosm of the rise and fall and rise again of the Disney renaissance. And this is the reason why they have a narrative that felt like it could fit into this podcast. Now, the other Disney directors do as much as all the Disney guys at this time period were kind of company men, and it's hard to totally separate what their individual styles are. This was such a passion project, such a blank check movie, and such a bounce. 
uh, and then they get to sort of redeem themselves twice after this. It just it, it gave it such a nice shape as a miniseries. This is the valley and it's a good valley. Yeah. And, you know, tra- we've mentioned Trousdale and Wise, right? Because they have Atlantis, which I guess, but they only have three movies. They have Beauty and Beast, Hunchback and Atlantis. So it's a little less of an arc. Yeah, this has a real uh, arc and they're retired now. So it seems like the arc is uh, completed. Uh, but of course, it's a miniseries called The Puddle Murcast. Of course it is. I will say today on Reddit, I saw people guessing what the miniseries title was going to be. And for the first time, I saw The Puddle Murcast typed out. Not great. Well, I, I, I typed it out because I sent it to um, Pat. Pat. Pat Reynolds. For the, the art. Pat Reynolds. And yeah. yeah, when I typed it out, I was like, yeah. You know, I don't know. This doesn't. It kind of looks like, you know, pottle looks like mottled. You know what I mean? So that's sort of what I was getting. I kind of liked it, actually. Pottle Murcast sounds like the name of like a a, a crewman in this movie. It exactly. sounds like the name of an alien pirate. Ah, you know, I they call me Pottle Murcast. Emma, do you like the name? What do you think? Because we always have guests on before they even know what it's, you know, it's before yeah. it's even started. Uh, yeah, this is this is my first time hearing it. I, I'm imagining it spelled out right now, like in front of my eyes. Um, I like it. It's weird. It's, it's weird. It's weird. Like, um, what's his name? Fuck. Jughead. Jughead's the one who's weird, right? Yeah, he's weird. He's a weirdo. It's weird like Jughead? You know how Jughead... He has a monologue where he's like, I'm weird. Like he like has a, a definitive, like basically like Tumblr just emerges from his mouth. He just explains that he is different. And I think about it all the time. Do you watch Riverdale, David, or do you just know this through osmosis meme culture? I watched the pilot and I was like, I get it. It's like Archie plus Twin Peaks. And I watched the second episode and I was like, I'm sick of this. I don't like it. And that was that. I think we're like six seasons in now. How long has that show been running? I think it's five 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 no only four wow god it feels it feels longer i guess the fifth season's about to premiere that's where we're at i don't know it's weird i wonder if there's a reason why the last four years in particular have felt much longer than they actually were that specific span of time you tell me a show premiered in the fall of 2016 and it feels like it's been on twice as long as it has i'm giving you a big smile today we're talking about treasure planet Bounce, baby. Wait, this movie bounced, guys? Huh? Oh, it bounced all over the fucking universe. I, I didn't look up the weekend numbers, but I saw the final domestic total, and I truly did not think in my mind that it had bounced this hard. Disney movies, they're not allowed to make that little money. Yeah, that's just not allowed. I imagine if you adjusted for inflation, there is no Disney animated film, like a, a proper main studio animated film that came close to bombing this hard. Right? I mean... How much did Atlantis make? I feel like Atlantis made like 60 or 70. It made, yeah, 84. Much better. Still not great, but yeah. No, but like that was seen as a flop. And then Treasure Planet said, hold my mead. And came in. What? what I hold my rum. I don't know. What the fuck? What a fucking space pirates drink. What about Brother Bear, though? Brother Bear. Brother Bear made like eighty or ninety or something. Had the Phil Collins bump. It did get that Collins bump. Um, it made eighty-five. Yeah, that's the thing. This is the era where like Emperor's New Groove is seen as a disappointment because it made like ninety. You know, Atlantis and Brother Bear end up in the eighties. Like they're like 
those are bombs. And then this just redefines what the basement is. I'll tell you what the one that, and it didn't do as bad as Treasure Planet, but close was Home on the Range. Home on the Range topped out at 50. That's the last one. That's a fart. That's them just going like, we're legally obligated to release this movie. Imagine releasing a film with Roseanne as the star in 2004. That sort of like summed up where Disney was in 2004, where they're like, Roseanne's still cool, right? And everyone's like, who? What? Roseanne is not cool. Roseanne is not a person we need. That's like the absolute nadir of Roseanne. Yes. That's one of those movies where it had like an incredibly tortured uh, Emperor's New Groove style birthing process where it started out as an entirely different movie and then barely resembled the original idea. But it was originally supposed to be a, a film called, I believe, Sweat and Bullets about talking sentient bullets that's correct right and then like the whole cast remained the same but it somehow became a ranch movie yeah they, it was gonna be a, a a bullet musical a western musical and it came up with it right after pocahontas kd lang was gonna do the whole score he was and roseanne's in it it was like the mid 90s baby and then they were like oh god oh shit it's 2004 you guys are still interested in our or, oh no you don't want it oh no okay but it was it was roseanne and, and cuba gooding jr in like 1995 and they were like we got the two biggest stars signed up and the movie comes out a decade later and everyone's like just pretend it doesn't exist and even that outgrows treasure planet what about meet the robinsons that did bad right no that did like 100 million yeah i felt like that movie was pretty popular this is rough it's so mean to treasure planet once they pivot to cgi all of them start doing better. That's the thing. Like, even if they were expensive. Right. They just sort of automatically. Right. Right. Like Chicken Little did like 140. Meet the yeah. Robinsons did 100. Bolt did 130 or something. Chicken Little had the Braff bun. It had the it had the Braff bun. Do you think? No. You know what? I'm not going to make a joke about Zach Braff. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to be a bigger man in 2021. I'm above a Braff joke. Our, our guest today should know that they do have permission to make a Braff joke if they want. And it's no pressure. They don't have to. They don't have to fill the void left by David's lack of a Braff joke. It's a free society. Uh, I really I don't have one in me. I didn't I didn't prepare anything about about Braff. I mean, I was just thinking, look, no, I don't want to make it. I don't want to make the Braff joke. I don't want to do it. I think I think you do. <laughs> I just well, because he's in Chicken Little, right? He's the yes. he is. Yes. The titular little chicken, Correct. chicken little. And, and Florence Pugh, his partner, I assume they're still together. Yes. Was born in 1996. And Chicken Little came out when? 2006? 2004, I believe. So she was eight it's years four old. four or five. Yeah. When yeah, it came out. So yeah. I'm just wondering if she like first was exposed to Zach Braff when he was playing a cartoon chicken. I was just thinking about it. Probably. Probably. And, and I wanted to make a joke about it. But you know what? I'm sure they're happy together in their nice house with their big kitchen. I, I think the way that that sexy Fox Robin Hood was a real eye opening <laughs> film for a lot of young children. I think Florence Pugh had her sexual awakening watching Chicken Little as an eight year old. See, this is the kind of joke I didn't want to make. And I, I brought it on this podcast. It's been made now. It's been made now. Florence Pugh. <sighs> God became damn. a woman when she saw chicken no left. no all right okay cut it, it, all did. Out. I cut it, cut it all out keep it in and double it gary marshall is the second lead he plays buck cluck yeah it's a weird fucking movie patrick stewart's the villain do you know what the plot of the chicken little movie is he, the sky is falling 
Okay, right. So that we all know, Ch- Chicken Little, the sky is Emma, falling. Emma, did you see this this movie? Just F- I-, I feel like I did. Isn't it like aliens? Yes. Thank you, Emma. The premise of the movie, the hook to the movie is Chicken Little says the sky is falling. Everyone says he's a liar and he's wrong. He doesn't understand. It turns out, in fact, Class- ch- classic Chicken Little situation. Right. It turns out, in fact, there are aliens who have created like a weird video screen in the sky to make it look like they're not about to invade the planet. And one of the tiles of that video screen is what fell out and hit Chicken Little in the head. And so he's the only person trying to warn people about an oncoming alien invasion. There you go. That sounds like a good movie. The logical modern retelling of the Chicken Little story. Right. Right. It's like War of the Worlds combined with the Truman Show Mm -hmm. starring a chicken. (laughs) I'm just trying to imagine Bob Iger, you know, at Show West being like, so we thought, what's the 21st century Chicken Little story, right? <laughs> and then he like advances a slide or something, you know, like, you sure. know, like that's what that's just how it sounds to me. But you also have to remember, that's one of the ones that he kind of like inherited. They were like, so you guys are making a- I didn't mean to, to shiv Iger. I was just sort of thinking any Disney CEO, insert Disney CEO here. They also just so badly wanted to make movies that did not feel like Treasure Planet and did not feel like Pocahontas. Like they didn't want to make princess musicals and they didn't want to make this kind of earnest adventure Serious, film. world buildy, right, you know. Right. Everything had to be sort of Shrek-y, postmodern, you know, kids adventures and fun. Yeah. I don't think I like the, this movie as much as our guest. Have we introduced our guest? We have to do that. I don't know how you feel about Treasure Planet Griffin, but... It doesn't do anything that's annoying about modern animation, basically. Or it do, it avoids so much of the shit that Correct. I don't like. And I just have to give it props for that alone. And, and we'll talk about all the other. But you know what I mean? There's no fucking bullshit. Right. And, and it, one could argue it was punished for that at the American box office. Exactly. They were like, where's all the bullshit? <laughs> this thing needs to have more bullshit. Yeah. And not only was it like such a calamitous failure, this is the movie that that kind of put the final nail in the coffin for hand drawn animation, I would say, because it's like after this, they go like stop every movie that isn't far enough too far along to cancel. Right. Right. So it's like the right. brother, brother bear, bear and home in the range. They're just they're right there. They deep. make it out. It was too late to, to fucking cut your losses on those two. But everything grinds to a halt. After the release of this movie, Tangled, which would have been, I think, next up, hand-drawn originally, and then uh, it went through many titles. It would be so much better if it was hand-drawn. The, the, the movie that ended up being Frozen was in development at this point. It was the Ice Princess or the Snow Queen or went through 8,000 different titles, but doing some variation on a Snow Queen movie. Uh, this This just ends everything and also ends even other studios attempting to make anything like this again it scares everyone off of all of this no bullshit kind of classical animation and our guest loves it she's the queen of the bugs (laughs) (laughs) what an intro you know her by her nickname her nickname i love it of course or not even nickname let me say her her famous catchphrase books (laughs) <laughs> bugs mm-hmm. i say that all the time she's the queen of the bugs but, but her catchphrase on on this podcast is bugs wait i is that from miss peregrine i don't even remember oh i think i remember saying that once yeah i was trying to start a sentence and i didn't couldn't finish it 
I think I was setting you up saying, Emma, you you love books, right? And you went, yeah. <laughs> That's the kind of energy we need in 2021 is we're going to tackle all this country's problems. Uh, Emma Stefanski. Hi. Folks. Thrillist. She's at Thrillist.com. I am at Thrillist.com. And I actually, I come, I come with a fact. I come with many facts today, but I do come with an answer to your question from the beginning of this podcast, which was, what is um, John Silver's alien race? Mm. He is an alien. Uh, he's something called an Ursid, which is like a man bear, which you don't really. Oh. Yeah. That's why he sort of looks a little bit animally. Yeah. I thought he was dog-like, but but I I see it. Yeah, it's, it's subtle hints of animal. Mm-hmm. His hands have that. The, the one hand has like the little claw fingernails. The other hands are robot hand. Just to yeah. be honest with you. Yeah, I don't know if you, I don't know if you caught that. Emma. I know you've seen this film multiple times, but there's a very subtle detail in this movie, which is that he's got a robot arm. You know, finally, I finally caught that this time watching it. I'm, but I'm glad that you leg. reminded me. Yeah, a robot whole half of his body. Eagle-eyed viewers might catch. We should we should make a list. You should submit this to Thrillist, Emma, for to time out with when this episode comes out. Like 30 Treasure Planet Easter eggs you might have missed. That's a really good idea. I'll give you a couple of them quickly. Uh, the treasure is in a planet. True. Uh, True. Uh, silver is part rubbit. Uh-huh. True. Yep. True. Okay. Uh, the the uh, ship is a spaceship. But it's also like a, a sea ship. It's got sails. Mm-hmm. It's like a right. It's like a space uh, sea ship. Uh, Jim Hawkins uh, is a surfer. Wait, don't write that down yet. I didn't finish. He's a solar surfer. Hell yeah. He's tubular. He's radical. That's the most bullshit adjacent this movie gets is opening with like this guy does extreme sports in space. Oh, yeah. He grinds. <laughs> he grinds like the cosmos. It's cool, but I'm just saying that's like the number one thing that almost feels like a studio note where it's just like that. That and the Goo Goo Dolls song are the two things where you're like, well, this isn't right. But those are the two things I love about the movie. <laughs> of course. No, I, I, but this is the thing. I don't even think either of those things are bad. I just think in 2002, <laughs> people were like, no, you can't fool me, Disney. I know you guys are a bunch of cheesy clowns. I, I, you know, I don't think you're cool just because you have a a guy with a ponytail on a surfboard thing. Like, I, I, you're not gonna fool me. It's funny. I was I was just thinking about like this Titan AE and Atlantis kind of function as a trilogy, right? This attempt to shift the perception of hand-drawn animation to like, wait, what if hand-drawn animated films are actually sci-fi action movies? And I think it's, it's a response to Pixar. Yes, sure. Sure. But they're also, they're all sort of a little steampunky and which is sort of cool at the time. And they're all like, still cool, you know, um, so cool. And they're all like hand-drawn animation with lots of 3D elements, so it can seem like dazzling and modern, right? And and, but, and floppy-haired boy characters. They all have the hair that does this. They all do that. Even the guy um, in Anastasia, Dimitri, he has that hair too. Dimitri, the weirdest of all of them. It's it's like the the Brendan Fraser hairdo, where you got the hair the hair curtains, or as I sometimes like to call it, the boy Rachel. There's something about Dimitri, and we will talk about Anastasia one day because we'll do blue at some point, and we'll and we'll talk about Titan AE. That's also blue. That's right. That's also blue. That's also blue. 
<laughs> I thought you'd like that. Something about Dimitri, he looks too much like John Cusack. They give him like full cheeks or something just to like make him look a little more grown up. And to, it makes him look like a creep to me. His chin is really distracting when you get the chin like in the profile. I remember watching the movie yeah. as a kid and being like, this man, he looks like, like an yeah. old man. He's just like, right. this is not too, a young Too grown guy. up. <laughs> Here, wait, I'm going to do I'm going to make it my background. I, I now want everyone to weigh in. See, I, I think he looks exactly like Billy Zane in Titanic. He does. Yes. Yeah, he's got a little of that. Sure. Right. Yeah. Was that what they were going for? I don't know, because it was before Titanic, right? Or the same year? Mm. But it's weird. Like, his hair looks like a wig, like Billy Zane and Titanic, even though it's an animated movie. Everyone's hair is fake. Somehow his hair looks particularly fake. <laughs> right. I'm like, is this guy have a rug? <laughs> What's up with yeah. Dimitri? <laughs> What's going on with this guy? Wait, here, this one's even weirder. Like, what? <laughs> yes. This yeah. What's up with this? He's weird. I'm not turned on by this guy. I don't want to run away with him. That weird sort of crevice only on one side of his mouth. Yeah, right. I think it's something about how Bluth animates. Yeah. Slightly more realistic. The Titan AE guy is the same. He sort of has that same like face shape. Now, Titan AE guy is Damon. Is it Matt, Matt Damon? Damon? Yeah, yeah. Matt Damon, Michael J. Fox. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt are the three heroes of these three animated action films. The trifecta. Right. The gang. I'm going to give you. And this is a, here. you know what? I knew this was Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I remember it from the time. Mm -hmm. And this is like. Uh, there, yep, there he is. It's same, almost same the exact thing. same phase. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> uh, I'll say this too. Jim Hawkins is like the exact same haircut as this, where it's like the Rachel, but then with the undercut in the back and the sides. But then Jim Hawkins adds the Padwan braid. He's got the braided ponytail coming just out of the back of the neck, the nape of the neck, but there's no other hair around that. Everything else around the braided ponytail is shaved. It's like the cool like 90s boy hairstyle that wasn't like frosted tips. Jonathan Taylor Thomas adjacent, uh, I would yeah. say. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Joseph Gordon-Levitt doesn't really sound like your impression of Joseph Gordon-Levitt in this movie until there's a few moments at the end that you, you can when he's getting more serious that he gets a little more like loaded die. Yeah. I, I think this I was trying to sort of like carbon date this and. Joseph Gordon-Levitt really did a sort of a soft gosling of just deciding, like, I don't want to be seen as a child star anymore. I've decided this is how I'm going to talk. Right. Like he sort of did a complete vocal change. Because I think he, yes. he was such like he wasn't like a, a child superstar, but he was a very visible child star. He was in a lot of stuff. He was on fucking primetime television for the better part of a decade. He, he was like known and he was very squeaky voiced. Which is how he sounds in this. Like, he sounded more like me, where he's just like, come on, Silver. Right. You know, like he's, there's almost like a Michael J. Fox kind of thing there. And this movie, because animation takes so long, and especially at this point in time, I feel like Disney would often try to, like, guess who would maybe be a star three or four years in the future. Like, they were like, oh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Third Rock's ending, is he going to become a leading man? But this coincides with Jogo soft retiring. He had this period where he was like, I kind of got burnt out on acting after I left Third Rock from the Sun. I've been doing it since I was a kid. I didn't know if I wanted to do it anymore. 
and I like left and I sort of went on my like soul searching journey. And then I came back to acting with like a renewed passion, started doing all these Sundance movies. Right. Yeah. That's, you know, mysterious skin and brick and havoc. You know, that's where it's like, oh, wow. Like Jay chose the Gordon Levitt's all grown up. This is this is coming out one year after Third Rock from the Sun goes off the air. This this movie, Treasure Planet. Right. That's the thing. So I remember him doing press for this movie, but also sort of being like, I may be kind of walking away from all of this shit. When I say press for this movie, I remember him doing like a fucking movie surfers episode or whatever, but seeming uncomfortable that he had to even promote this movie. And uh, yeah, then he comes back in a couple of years and he has like mysterious skin and brick at Sundance. And then he's like done the octave shift down where now he's Loaded he's by. he's. Right. He's he's got the like the soft Keanu thing going on, you know, but it feels like he made a conscious decision. I mean, I know he's playing younger than he is in this movie, so perhaps he was trying to play up the youthful elements. But this watching this just reminds you how fundamentally his different his voice used to be, which also underlines why I am so fascinated with the way he talks now. Because it does feel like a 40-year-old man still trying to prove to people, I am a grown-up. I am not a child star. This is how an adult man talks. Oh, boy. Treasure Planet. So, Griffin. Yes. Ron, man- Ron Clements and John Musker's Passion Project. We're here to talk about it. They pitched it 1985. 1985. This film was almost 20 years in development. You, you know this, Emma, right? Yeah, they kept telling him no. Yeah, they kept saying no. We talked about how uh, uh, Disney, uh, Eisner, and uh, Katzenberg kept on Lucy Van Pelting this movie as the football to Musker and Clemens Charlie Brown. But the the thing I, I just I found while digging back into this movie in particular is that it was after Aladdin, when that was so big, that uh, and they were just like, sorry, we just don't like this pitch. They went up to Roy Disney and Roy Disney interfered and said, like, please, please let them do this. I think this is worth doing. And begrudgingly, Eisner and Katzenberg, like, made a contract for them that was, if you make Hercules first, we promise we will take Treasure Planet seriously after that. But it was, like, contingent on doing another movie first. And I think they hoped that maybe somehow they would slip out of actually having to take treasure planet to the finish line. But they did. They did finally do it. They did. I mean, Katzenberg was gone at that point. Yes. Yeah. He didn't have to oversee this. That's a good point. Right. Katzenberg's gone at that point, but yeah, no. And also, well, we'll talk about it, but like by the time they're actually making it, the, the technology is there for them to make this sort of dramatic looking movie that maybe they couldn't have made in 1985. Absolutely. Now, yeah, well, that's what they did is they waited a little bit. They waited. Emma, you love this movie. You're a big fan. I'm a huge fan. Yeah. You've seen it a number of times. I can recite the whole thing. That's what David said. And I, I didn't know if he was exaggerating or not, but you really think you can recite the entire movie. On the clearest of nights, the winds, the ethereum were calm and peaceful. <laughs> Great merchant ships with their cargoes of Arcturian solar crystals filled safe and secure. Little did they suspect that they were pursued by pirates. Books. <laughs> N- not not an easy start. Ar- Arcturian, like what? Like there's a bunch of words getting thrown at <laughs> you right away. Yeah, I mean, you absolutely called my bluff there, Emma. <laughs> Did not. Yeah. So, Emma, this film came out Thanksgiving time, two thousand and two. Now, I was sixteen years old. I did not see this film. I thought this film looked stupid. <laughs> I probably 
probably would have said something to those uh, to that effect because I was a cool teenager and I was like, what's this shit? Treasure planet. Disney's out of ideas. Get out of here. Yeah, no, you're a f- famously cool teenager. You definitely said something to that effect to your friends on the Oscar watch message boards. <laughs> Roast me. Um, abs- that's the thing. Yes, I was not cool at all. But I was sort of like, oh, I'm not seeing that. Now, Griffin, mm-hmm. in 2002, you would have been, what, 13-ish? I was 13. I, I, I mean, I remember vividly that all of my friends thought this looked stupid. No one would have been caught dead in the theater seeing this. My mulligan was that I had a much younger sister. sister. So, yeah. right. So, so Romilly was, I was 13. Romilly would have been four when this movie came out. So I like right at the age when all of my friends no longer wanted to see animated movies I used the the get out of jail card of like, oh, I'm just taking my sister to them. But I wanted to see every animated movie. I would have been having a crisis figuring out how to go see these movies without letting anyone know had I not had a little sister. Romilly, honestly, too young for this. Did you really take yeah. Romilly? Yeah, absolutely. I My mom and Romilly and I went to see this. And I, I just remember even as a four year old, the, the kind of active disinterest Romilly clearly had the entire running time. She she wasn't even scared or bored. It was there was just like an absence of a movie happening in front of her. But so but did you what was your opinion of Treasure Planet? I'm going around the room here uh, at the time. I You know, I was still a, a big animation nerd, but sort of trying to hide it from my friends to a degree. And I knew somewhat about the legacy for this movie. And I also think I wanted this this shift to work i liked the idea of oh my god what if disney what if hand-drawn animation can reclassify itself as fucking sci-fi action movies then will they be cool to see again do i not have to give up on this and the first two had not really worked right right titan a and uh the other one yeah. we were just talking about. Yep. Uh, Atlantis. Atlantis. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which, I mean, actually ends up being the most successful of the, the three of these movies. But Treasure Planet had this like amazing teaser trailer. It had a teaser trailer where it used John Williams score from far and away. And it has like almost no dialogue in it. And it's just kind of the best money shots of the ships and the surfing and all that sort of shit and it felt really epic and i was like oh they might pull this off like they might actually make this movie seem cool to teenagers and then by the time it came out you had like a trailer with fucking floppy dog-eared david hyde pierce alien i was like i am never convincing any friend of mine to go see this it is done but i think i guess at least it will probably be a hit with families and then i just remember going to see it with romley my mother Thanksgiving weekend, probably. We saw it at the um, Second Avenue and 12th Street Theater, which uh, for those of you who don't know, don't live in New York City, it's this uh, independent uh, uh, multiplex that has one incredible like old movie palace screen. It looks like a synagogue. It's this beautiful giant temple. Yes. Uh, You can uh, uh, look it up, City Cinemas, uh, Second Avenue and 12th Street, and see pictures of it. It looks like an opera hall. And any movie seen at that screen opening weekend tended to feel even more epic. And I just remember going to see it and there being three other people in the theater (laughs) and being like, this movie is so radically uncool. And I kind of liked it. I I didn't love it. I would have loved to have loved it. I respected it a lot. 
And for the last 20 years, I've sort of I've never revisited, but I've always gone like if I watch that today, would I think this is a secret masterpiece? It's one of the reasons I so badly wanted to do Musker and Clements. And, and I, I, I feel pretty much exactly the same as I did in theaters. You liked it, but didn't leave. Sure. Okay. Okay. Now, Ben, I'm assuming you did not see the film in theaters. Despite it having Ben energy. No, I did not. Um, I was 17 years old. The, this was the <laughs> furthest from my mind possible. Yeah, I mean, you were you're, right. As we were talking off mic, just a lot of Ben things in this movie. Oh, absolutely. So many things. Yeah. I mean, I just saw this for the first time a few mere hours ago, and uh, I'm excited to get into all the details because there's some really fucking fun space dog pirate ass shady characters. Man. A little shady. A little shady. Yeah. Emma's pumping her fist, Arsenio Hall audience style. Yep. I did have the thought watching this movie like 30 minutes in. If this exact same script was done in 2002 as like a live action movie directed by Steven Summers, it would have been a hit. I was literally going to say not exactly that, that same thing, but like this is could be translated easily to live action. This is that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think it would have worked. I think it abs like Ben would have absolutely have gone to see this in theaters if it were live action. Right. If this movie had the same visual aesthetic, but was done with 2002 era CGI. Definitely. You would have gone like, oh, that looks cool. It's fucking space pirates. And the fact that it was like a Disney movie, just it, it killed both audiences at the same time. Like anyone who liked Disney was like, this doesn't look like what I like about Disney. And anyone who wanted to see a fucking salty space pirate movie was like, why are they all adorable? Right. All right. Now, Emma, OK, so Emma, mm -hmm. you're the star here mm -hmm. in terms of seeing Treasure Planet. But did you see it in theaters in 2002? I did. I did. I went to see it with a friend of mine. You would have been, I'm guessing, around 10? I was still nine at that point. That was the, the year I turned 10, but I was still right, nine. Right, you're a, you're a December yeah. birthday. Uh, I went with a friend. We both saw, we both loved it. We both had the same reaction. We were like, this movie rules. And I didn't know for probably years that it was like not a popular, like that it was a huge flop. I had no idea. I showed this to my friends at like sleepovers and everyone was like, oh yeah, this rules. And we were just in this blissful bubble, not aware that, you know, the you didn't know this like world. tanked, drawn animation around the this world. Essentially, killed it. Yeah, <laughs> right. It was it was an art form killer. <laughs> I guess not around the world because Japan and so on still happily hand draw. Yeah, things, we still get yes. hand drawn, but, but in America, yes, in Hollywood at least, yes. Yeah, I did not know that. So you just loved it. You converted friends to it and you kept the torch aflame all these many years. I like I was drawing a lot back then. Like I still do. And my like art style was very obviously influenced by this movie. I was drawing a lot of like creatures. I drew a lot of ships like this type of ship. Uh, yeah, this was it was way deep into my head. Never coming out. I mean, this was a big thought I had watching this film like just I, I kept on just thinking like oh, what an odd duck this is right like j just what an obviously like everything I like about it is is directly tied to why it could not find an audience in 2002 why it just landed with a thud but the movie this most reminds me of is Jupiter Ascending 
Yeah. Jupiter Ascending, I and I think it's why I've always said that movie like hit people the wrong way is that like people were like, oh, it's a fucking cool ass Wachowski space movie. And they were like, no, it's like secretly a Disney movie. Like we're making a Disney movie with fucking animal aliens and like bobbly gold spaceships and shit. And this movie feels like the same kind of thing. That's very true about Jupiter Ascending, <laughs> right? It's the fl- it's the flip side of the un- incongruity. Because you're always like, oh, Jupiter Ascending, right? Like that thing is a fucking phantasmagoria. And it's like, no, it's about this special girl who has a golden telescope who looks into the stars and like wishes she was good, you know, and she's a janitor. And then she turns out she's a princess, you know, like she's an alien princess. It's got that sort of like goofy uh, fairy tale sincerity, which I think this movie has as well. And I mean, I think this film is better than Titan AE, but Titan, Titan AE, AE sucks. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, know, agree. I know I know, you agree. I'm just so annoyed because I rewatched it, I don't know, in the last couple of years. And I was like, come on, surely this is good. And it's such a stinker. And I don't even know why. Uh, I'll say whenever we do Don Bluth and whenever we do Titan A, Ben Edlund has one of the three screenwriting credits on that movie. And I want to have him on the episode to talk about whatever the weird process of that movie was, because I think he's alluded to it at times to me. And it sounds like it was a very weird development. That movie is not good. But my point I was going to say is. The the movie, that movie does a better job of affecting a sort of hollow, badass attitude, right? right. Like really trying to go like, this is not for kids. It's PG-13. Uh, I forget who does the song for that movie, but there's a similar kind of like Goo Goo Dolls adjacent song. song. Oh, oh, it's, it's, it's a fucking, uh, I'm in over my head. It's lit, my friend. It's lit. It's lit. Right. And then Atlantis has like the Mike Mignola thing. It's an original story. It's structured a little bit more like an action film. And the comic relief characters in it aren't like goofy animals and shit. They're like, like funny, like they're like Jerry Bruckheimer comic relief characters, you know? And and you you dig Atlantis, right, Emma? That's another. I fave love. For oh my you. god! It's like yeah, maybe right. maybe second behind this one. It's so cool. I love it. But but there's just nothing badass about this movie, which is what's so refreshing about watching it. But it was just fucking doomed. If you just think about like not just the <laughs> Pixar movement, but Shrek is the year before this. Right. Yeah. So yeah, Shrek has yeah. just fucking folded the entire Disney kingdom like laundry, like whatever chance there was of a teenage boy still being talked into seeing a Disney movie. Shrek just made everyone go like, oh, yeah, no, that stuff's stupid. Right. <laughs> I like Shrek. He farts and shit. There's farts in this movie, though. There are, but they're they're such like Nickelodeon farts. Yeah, that's true. They're not like gross necessarily or like as wet as Shrek. Yeah. And and then uh, Stitch comes out this exact same year as well, which is sort of Disney hand-drawn doing their own Shrek. We talked about how the Stitch campaign, the marketing campaign was all based around like he's the bad boy of the Disney family. This guy's a freak. Right. He's uh, he's burping on the beast and whatever. Uh, But it was just like this movie just had no fucking shot. And it is fascinating that Stitch was like made by like the weird B team in like, you know, I think it was literally animated in Hawaii. Is that possible? I, I couldn't tell you, but I'll try and find out right now. 
it was not the main animation studio. It was like a satellite studio they set up. It was a much smaller movie, smaller budget, meant to just sort of be a programmer. This was their big epic holiday release. And then Stitch was a huge hit. This was their biggest bomb ever. And it, it this was such a bomb that even Stitch having come out fucking six months later, earlier, couldn't have saved hand-drawn animation, you know? I couldn't, I couldn't, I don't see any evidence that they actually worked on it in Hawaii, but certainly, obviously, it has that sort of watercolor style that's... And it's set in Hawaii, obviously. Very nice, and obviously set yeah. in Hawaii. Um, but, like, it, it, that's it. I mean, do you like Lilo and Stitch? I'm, I, this is, a, it's just... Yeah. This shit just always fascinates me in terms of, like, how you and I are the same generation, but like it's it's in the children's films where the gulfs are widest. We were talking about like childhood cartoons, I think, a few days ago. Absolutely, like, that's no another idea thing. What I was talking about. <laughs> you were talking about Courage the Cowardly Dog, and what, what's another one you were talking about? I mean, like my my touchstones would be like Kim Possible and Teen Titans, right? And, like Code Lyoko and weird shit like that. I, I and of course I've heard of all these things, but like mine were like Ren and Stimpy and Rugrats and you know Rocco's Modern Life or whatever, right? Like, and it's just again, like just that's just that's just happenstance. It's whatever whatever's fucking on when you're six years old, right? Like uh, that's just the die that's cast. Maybe not anymore with the with the streaming and all that, you know, the streaming Griffin. But but I also feel like this is maybe the Disney movie with the least nostalgia around it, considering that the Internet is now like fucking 20 percent Disney nostalgia. Right. Like that's 20 percent of all content on the Internet. There's no princess, which is an issue, right? Because Disney turns the princesses into like a linked universe somehow. So it doesn't get to be part of that world. The romance is a fucking comic subplot. It's a dog and a cat having babies together. <laughs> and they're both stuck up adults. They do. Stuck up adults yeah. voiced by great actors. I just typed Treasure Planet into Tumblr, though, and I got some I got some stuff. I got some kind of cool emo art. We're still out there. Right. Like there's probably a little bit there, you know, any Disney thing. But I agree with you, Griffin, that certainly this is an, an under discussed uh, part of the franchise. Really, though, all all Jack Hawkins, which, yeah, like, you know, you know, here, I'm going to here. Here's I'm going to make it my background, guys. This is exciting. Are you excited for this? <laughs> oh, no. This one I really like. It's not. It's not. No, come on. There's a reason I don't look this shit up. Ah, fuck. It doesn't. <laughs> uh, uh, no, it doesn't uh, he's wearing a sweater, but it's. Oh, God. Here, I'll just link you to it. You know who Jack Hawkins also looks like Griffin? Jim. 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 Hawkins, sorry. 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 Not Jack Hawkins. Uh, do you know who he looks like, though, Griffin? Who? The, the guy from um, How to Train Your Dragon, as well, also has that energy. Oh, Hiccup? Hiccup. You know, like the the hair and the... Okay, now, Griffin, you've got this <laughs> fucking disgusting Madame Tussauds doll, and I'm realizing what the problem with it is, is that the eyes are at cartoon size. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and on a on a, you know, mannequin that just looks insane. This is literally a Madame Tussauds. It was the first two fictional characters they ever included in any of their locations were Jim Hawkins and Cyborg Silver. And the Jim Hawkins one is terrifying because it's like Madame Tussauds level realism applied to a fucking Disney handsome boy face. He looks like he has like pores in his skin even. Yes, he must. I mean, he's got rooted eyebrows and hair and like. Yeah, it, it, realistic teeth and shit. It's uh, terrifying. But yeah, no, it, it's uh, I just think 
I even see more online nostalgia for Atlantis. And I also think it's notable that I have never once heard even a whisper of them remaking this. And the Atlantis rumors continue to go like, oh, Disney wants to do it with Tom Holland. Whether that's true or not, those rumors circulate. I have not heard a a murmur about doing this one again. It feels like the one that they're not even going to touch. It's because it's perfect the way that it is. It's because it's perfect the way it is. Is that why Tom Holland is popular? Because he look. I know I like Tom Holland. I enjoy. I enjoy the work of him. But also, he looks like the boy we're talking about. Like every single yes. like, you know, Treasure Planet, Atlantis, Titan. A. He just looks like that. That's just what he is. And he's got the voice. Like he said, "Oh, come on, a uh, Treasure Planet. Come on, what are you talking about, guys? You want me to do a lip sync? Oh, I guess so. I guess I'll do it to Rihanna's umbrella. That's the thing. He's just fan casted as everything now. Every little guy. Right, right. They People want him to play fucking Link. They want him to play Milo. <laughs> of course they do. In Atlantis. They want him to play every boy. Yeah. He has a very like androgynously handsome boy face, I think is the appeal. Like it's not a Timothy Chalamet situation where he's like all angles and shit. Like Tom is very round. Yeah, he does have a nice round face. You want to you want to give him a little pinch. He's cute, and his his American accent is good, but it sounds like a cartoon character. He speaks like a a cartoon American boy. No, but you have you. you he sounds like a tugboat. That's your old thing, Griffin. Oh, right? oh my thing was, uh, but I was using that in a pejorative way. I, I said that were. Orlando Bloom and Elizabeth Town sounds like a, a talking train who teaches you how to read. <laughs> Do you know what this is? A cat. That's right. <laughs> is that someone that like an adult, if they just hear the tones, will be like, oh, God, oh, God. he's talking again. He picked <laughs> up the book that talks. Oh, God. Oh, fuck. It's Orlando the train again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Treasure Planet. Now, Emma, did you care about Treasure Island? The, um, you know. The, the Robert Louis Stevenson book where you where you invested in the the source material. The I source so material. I'm sure that I had read like some abridged like children's version of it, and I had seen. I know that I had seen Muppet Treasure Island before this. Not, yeah. another problem for this movie. That's only Huge seven problem. six years before, right? Yeah. Um. And then I saw this, and so and but then this became sort of in my mind like I've sort of thought like this is more or less an accurate like portrayal of the book besides <laughs> yeah. the fact that you know uh, everything and then i read the actual book and was like there's not this is different like i w- i sort of felt like a little bit separated from it just by the fact that i had seen this movie and had had that like notion in my head this whole time and then i read the book and was like hmm i don't know if i like this as much right the the, the skeleton of the plot is is basically the same you know the, there's the captain flint and there's ben gunn is right yeah you know but yeah no it's not that similar i mean there's for one and you guys may not realize this because it's a subtle difference but this film is set in uh outer space yeah right the entire treasure is a planet um griff do you you like muppet treasure island griffin i know that i, I love muppet treasure island that's why i was gonna ask uh, emma books stefanski do you think muppet treasure island is more faithful as an adaptation than this yeah it might be right i think it is because i think the uh, most of the characters are the same right right this does this one kind of takes out a lot right right because the uh the david i pierce character droopy dog or whatever his name is is like squire trelawney 
and mm-hmm. he's the other guy, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh, yes, Fozzie and uh, Bunsen Honeydew he's a, or whatever. He's a combination. And... He's a Bunsen and a Fozzie, <laughs> right. right? He's called right. Dr. Doppler, which is a cool name. Not a cool guy, though. He's kind of cool. Mm, I don't know if he's kind of cool. I think he's sweet and he's funny. I don't think we can use the word cool. I like this movie, no. Emma. I'm here no. for the defense. I don't think we can use the word cool. Definitely not. This is, of course, the just the golden age of David Hyde Pierce voice performances, starting with A Bug's yes. Life, right? You've got Osmosis Jones, of course. You've got this. You've got Hellboy. I mean, just do you, do you need a squirrely you know nerdy guy david hyde pierce is at your beck and call he's the only I one mean, he's uptight like that's his type right? my man is uptight i love david hyde pierce so much he is the true definition of when's he bad he is never bad yeah yeah no you're right you're never. absolutely right he's he's so fucking good Sideshow Cecil Terwilliger. I feel like you left that off the list of his important late incredible 90s though voiceover. And we, and run. we have to right. We must respect. Absolutely right. Yes. But there's there's an early moment early on in this film. I was just like trying to clock as I was watching it. I was remembering the feeling in the theater of being like I would never be able to convince any of my friends to stay in the theater right now if I was seeing this with other thirteen year olds. Sure. They would walk out. That's what you're thinking. They'd be like, we're out of here. I truly, I remember having that thought of like, if I had gone to see this with friends, they would say, let's go to a different movie. Let's sneak out into a different screen. Is it like when I took my friends to see Alexander and they stayed through the entire three and a half hour movie only because they thought that for some reason, Angelina Jolie was going to be naked in it. And then they were furious (laughs) with me that she wasn't, even though I had promised them no such thing. Yeah, also, like, Rosario Dawson has the most nudity anyone has ever had in that movie. There is nudity in the film, but they, and I, I believe I even was like, what are you talking, that was a sexy movie? They were like, I can't believe you've done this. They they were literally the vine of the angry British boy. <laughs> Continue, I'm so sorry. What's the follow, the year after this, but I told everyone that Hulk ruled, and then everyone, like, yelled at me. <laughs> <laughs> this is the origin of our podcast. Yeah, exactly. But the, the early chunk of the movie where it's just like you you have the opening that Emma so beautifully uh, recited. Emma's eyes, I want to say, glowed green as she did that, by mm-hmm. the way. They did. Once uh, the book is closed, so to speak, and you're in the reality of like Jim Hawkins and his mother, Andy's mom, uh, the, right. Mecca, the right? movie is so squarely back in Disney territory. Like it's got such an earnest Disney vibe. Not just to the the look, but the vocal performances and the energy and the score and all that sort of stuff. And in that early chunk, when like you're watching this movie that's ostensibly been sold off of this largely wordless, here's all the eye candy, look at the explosions in the ships set to John Williams music teaser trailer. And then it's like, oh, you have three 90s sitcom stars having a talk in what looks like a colonial reenactment bar in space. You know, so it's like everyone is dressed up in like these like dorky period clothes, despite being in the space and future. And it's it's fucking the kid from Third Rock, the aunt from Roseanne and the brother from Frasier. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just like this this movie is I I think this movie is lovely. And then the guy from The Prisoner shows up. Let's not, you know. (laughs) Right, right. In his final vocal performance, there's something. So, I mean, so much of this movie's charm to me is that uh, I I don't think 
Musker and Clements have it in them to be uh, strategically edgy. I mean, they cannot be cool. You know, it's just like there's cool shit in this movie, but they cannot be like cool. Like they they are incapable of putting a poochie in a film. And, and like, absolutely. And that's right. That's what if this film were made by DreamWorks five years later, it would be fucking swimming in poochies. It'd be called Poochie Planet, probably. But like, you know, they do Hercules and they're like, our take on this is it's like a 40s screwball comedy. Like, you know, right. and they get away with it. But like, that's their energy. Their energy is not going to be this is radical and extreme. Like, you know, this is the kind of thing you can put in a Sega Genesis game. Like, that's just not how they think they can, you know, Disney can do its work to try and, you know, right. But like, you're right that they are. And like to, to think that this is the thing they had nursed. I know. Uh, I think it, I think it was Clements. Yeah. It was Clements who had nursed it the longest uh, for, for 20 years almost. They just have inherently goofy energy, which I, I think any listener of this show will know I say as a compliment, but they have inherently goofy energy. And we talked in the Little Mermaid episode about how they seem to be, of all the Disney directors in this period, the ones who are the best at tonal balance. Uh, that when you get to the movies that are a little more self-serious, like Pocahontas and Hunchback and Mulan, the comic relief characters kind of butt up against like the very threatening villains and the more serious themes like it just feels a little bit uh misshaped and this movie doesn't have that problem because they choose to take all the elements that other people would have tight ae style tried to make seem cool and put them at the exact level as doppler you know like everything is is working around harmonizing around the persnickety dog professor um now emma do you wish to intervene here and remind tell us that no, this movie's actually the coolest, or do do you know what we're going for? I mean, no, I understand. I do. I do think that it's cool. I think that the opening when it goes from him as a little boy to like, and then it says like twelve years later on the screen. That's the only title thing that we ever get, right? Uh, and he's like on his solar thing, and it's like that's cool. That's cool. It's and then cool. the end when he's like doing the same thing with like the makeshift, like, you know, wind board or whatever. That's cool. The storm is cool. The ship itself is cool. We should we could cool. probably talk a lot about that. I want to I want to amend my choice of words. Here. No, no, Griff. I think I think there was nothing wrong with what you said. I just wanted Amber to come in here. But anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, amend your choice. Yeah, you're allowed to. Amend. Uh, no, but I do think there's a distinction I, I, I can draw here that will make this conversation easier. I think this film is successfully cool in a lot of the ways you just cited. The distinction for me is there is nothing hip about this movie. Okay, it's not sure. Hip. It's not a hip movie. There's it's nothing. It, it, is, it is incredibly proudly unhip. And that is the thing that the other movies of this time were trying and failing to do to some degree. And this movie doesn't even try to play that game. It feels like like an old story that like some sailor would be telling you. A sea shanty. Very popular right now. Oh, yeah. A space shanty. A space shanty. Now, but answer me this, though. Okay? Is everyone ready? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. They're in these ships. They got sails. But they're out in the open. They're in space. How are they breathing? There's an answer to this. There's an answer. Okay. I was wondering this, too. Okay. Okay. Please. Go ahead. I was like, rope in space? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure um, about that. 
It's not really explained, and it, the word only appears once, and it's in the intro. It's like the fourth or fifth word in the entire movie. But they sail through this thing in space called the Ethereum, which is like these paths of air, of atmosphere that like traverse space. And this is how they get around from planet to planet is like they find air. So that's how they can be on a deck breathing without like a suit. All I needed to hear. I love it because one, that makes it like a skill, right? You got to navigate, right? These, yeah. these eddies. You need all those weird little maps and shit. And two, that's way better than like, oh, it has like a force field you can't see, which would be the mm-hmm. boring answer, right? That's like the shitty answer. This, that's way cooler. This movie got an extra star from that, from you saying that. Thank you. It is such a fascinating choice that I deeply respect that they're like, no, it's just a pirate ship in space. Right, exactly. Like they, as as Ben said, it still seems to be largely constructed out of wood. Yep. It has ropes. <laughs> there aren't lasers. There isn't a dome over it. When they go into like the fucking cook's quarters, it looks incredibly rustic and shitty. Like it's it's just this can fly in space. It's it's such a clear like it, it speaks to the dorky little boy in in Musker and Clements each that they're just like, why would we change the design? Pirate ships are cool. Yeah. Just put a pirate ship in the stars. The ship looks cool. Yeah. Um, it does look cool. Ships are cool. I mean, the, the old sea ships are cool. Uh, I assume, Griff, you've heard, you know, that there was this the 70-30 law, right? Their sort of mm-hmm. design philosophy was that everything should be 70% traditional, 30% sci-fi, right? Like never go to sci-fi because then you're going to be on an enterprise. You're going to have metal. You're going to have neon. You're going to have, right? Like then you'll just be a space movie. And that's not what we're going for here. And that feels, that makes sense to me. I like that guiding principle. They wanted, they wanted it to be like warmer and like more welcoming and not like all like metal and vacuum and scary. Like they wanted it to be sort of like, an ocean movie without actually setting it in the ocean. It's also like 70% hand-drawn, 30% CGI. Mm -hmm. This is the most, the closest one of these movies comes to being almost a straight hybrid, you know? Because we've talked about Musker and Clements really kind of pioneer the integration of CGI into uh, hand-drawn, but it, it often was just for one character or for one sequence or for one element or something. And this has like 30% of Silver as a character is CGI. All his cyborg parts are CGI down to even his eye is CGI at every moment. Love that eye. Working around hand-drawn, you know? Ben is CGI. The ships are CGI. Some Wait, of the producer Ben is CGI? <laughs> this whole time? This whole time. I'll say, I mean, we've people have been complaining that we've been forgetting the nicknames, but this one's a slam dunk. Your nickname for this is just B-E-N. That's true. <laughs> That's your fucking Musker Clements nickname. Love it. Stands for bioelectronic navigator. Uh, it's, it's a really interesting combination. It's a thing we've uh, probably uh, repeated to death over the course of doing these episodes. But as we're rewatching these movies, comparing them to the modern studio animation landscape, it's like it's a bummer that hand-drawn was thrown out so entirely because there's so much potential in combining the two and this one looks like particularly smooth in a way that a lot of older and even like just a few years older animated movies that this did not no yeah um there's just a really like carefully designed way that they did the motion in this 
I guess probably to work with the fact that a lot of it, a lot of the background stuff was CG so that it wouldn't look too like, like two different things trying to be one thing. Uh, this was far and away and still is the most expensive hand-drawn animated film in history. So aside from it just belly flopping at the box office, <laughs> it was also the biggest spend Disney had ever done on one of these. $140 million in 2002. It's a lot of money. 140 20 years ago is pretty wild. Um, it's a kind but, of treasure that a pirate would want. <laughs> there, there's Can also everyone hear this me? Thing. Is that uh, did yeah, that did that yes, come through? Yes. Okay, sorry. Absolutely. Disney always prided themselves on sort of fluid character animation, but this one is like like liquid, as you said, Emma. Well, when you watch like Doppler speak, it's just so fun to look at him. Like I just I love just looking at like his mouth movements and his eyes. Like and whenever he talks, I'm like I'm dialed in 100. percent well, and Silver is so impressive. He's and great. even if you remove the CGI elements and you just look at like the face acting and his body and everything, uh, he's so fluid, but also he's so detailed. Mm -hmm. Like it's the exact kind of thing that these studios usually try to shy away from because the more detailed a character is, the harder it is to animate. The more lines and shapes you have to track at every point. And he's wearing all these layers. He's got all this kibble on him. He's got all these rolls in his flesh and everything. And and his animation is unbelievable. And then you add the CGI pieces onto it. It's pretty stunning. That's the Glenn Keane uh, mm -hmm. job in this movie. Yeah. Unsurprisingly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I read some interview where someone was like, that's like what Glenn Keane is like. Like, saying that Glenn Keane kind of has Long John Silver energy, which seems like fun. That seems like good energy. He's a fun guy. Just like a garrulous guy. It, it's one of the things that I think makes um, Long John Silver in all adaptations, in all versions, such a, a powerful kind of evergreen character is that he re it really is hard to track his allegiances at any moment. And and I think this movie does a particularly good job with that characterization, especially with the the Brian Murray performance. But just where you genuinely question at every point in time whether or not he's being sincere. When he's being rough and rowdy, you question whether that's an act. And when he's being nice to Jim, you question whether that's an act. Well, he has that whole thing where he like right after he gives him the big talk and he's like, oh, boy, I better like, you know, toughen up. They don't want to I don't want them to see this side of me. Right. There, there is, as much as he is genuinely a scary character, there is a genuine warmth and pathos to him. And I think this script does a really good job of underlining the emotional longing of how much he's committed himself to this goal of finding the treasure. It feels like they frontline more than the sort of greed of I want all that treasure, the idea where it's just like, you don't understand what I've given up in pursuit of this fucking thing. Mm. He has a great line at the at the end. I know I'm I'm moving ahead, but there's a great line where Jim is like when they're running out of the exploding shit and he's like, Why did you why did you come back? And he's like, Oh, it's a lifelong obsession. I'll get over it. And then the ship comes and picks them up. I just think that's yeah. such a great moment. In the book, he knew Captain Flint, right? That was yes. the whole thing. Yes. In this, obviously, that's not possible because <laughs> it's hundreds of years. Right. Because he's more of like a legendary pirate mm -hmm. type. Right. But in the book, as far as I, it's been a long time, but yeah, he was like the quartermaster to Captain Flint or yeah. you know, like that, you know, and that's how he 
Uh, and also, in, I mean, in the book, he's scarier. He's supposed to be like Flint's, like the the man Flint feared, right? Like he's supposed to be more of a rival. Mm-hmm. And you know, mm-hmm. the, the the Muppets and the Disney, you know, these sand him down a little bit. But there, there's that like there's just a father son thing, right? Like that's like the sort of weird dynamic. Right, that's the thing. Because I do, I do think it is a success of both Muppet Treasure Island and this that they do make him on a relative scale scary they make him about as scary as those movies can handle right but but i and obviously more adult adaptations of this material will make him even scarier but there is that thing where like even if he's inherently a shitty guy the paternal nature feels real that Mm -hmm. never really feels insincere in any version of treasure planet it's just like maybe you've identified this guy's one soft spot but it does feel like that's coming from a real place He's cool. I I like when he when you meet him. I mean, you know, we're we're going through the plot. It, look, the, 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 he finds that fucking map. Emma, it's a sphere map. He gets it from Billy Bones. He's told to beware the cyborg. Let's. I mean, like, come on. Let's not breeze ahead. Billy Bones is a pretty legendary dude. All right. Okay. All right. Let's talk about Billy he's Bones big, then. He's a big turtle. Right. You 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 have your uh fucking uh Tony J opening narration that Emma said. You open the book, you close it, you are introduced to Doppler, Jim, uh when you cut ahead to the future, solar surfing, getting in trouble being caught by uh, uh robot bobbies. Robot cops. Yes. I, I, I like those robocops. They're funny. They make me <laughs> laugh. I like that they are programmed to be able to raise their hat. As if they're tipping their cap, saying, like, good day. You take care now. But that's the thing I think Mustard and Clemens said it was a, a important difference for them, was that Jim Hawkins is always sort of a very sincere, earnest, sweet kid with a taste for adventure. Right, usually. And here he's like a teen. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, he's a little rough. He's an, an angsty teen with a skateboard. Yeah. But Billy Bones crashes into the inn that his mother runs. Uh, it's a fucking awesome ass entrance <laughs> he crashes his his ship looks like a fucking bowling ball it crashes in he's an old turtle man <laughs> in a big coat <laughs> true all true he's played by patrick mcgugan of course yeah his final performance and uh he just starts going hard about this this treasure which jim has heard about read about since he was a little boy but thought was just a legend and passes on to him the the rubik's cube the rubik's orb that will end up being the map to this treasure. I was going to say, there's another wonderful moment of dialogue when uh, his mom is talking to Doppler when she's inside and she's looking at her like little locket with like the hologram, like photos of him as a little boy. And he's like, hey, when he was a boy, like he'd always be holding a new pet and begging me to let him keep it. And then he opens the door and it's like him with this terrifying monstrous guy. Here, I made him my background. He's like a lizard. He's like a... Komodo turtle. What, yeah, he's a turtle. Yeah, That's no, what he like, is. He's like a snapping turtle. Yeah. He looks so fucking cool, but uh, he dies almost immediately, warns them about the cyborg that's going to come after him, and then they come almost immediately. And I love, I also love when he goes to the window and he opens the window, he opens the little, like, the, the part of the window that's like a TV screen to look out. That's so cool right it looks it they're like projecting a sunny day and then he opens it up and you see that it's pouring rain and their cyborg pirates coming in to kill him but yeah it's it's like i like that it's got 
you take the Billy Bones character, who's always this sort of like ominous, like, let me tell you a story, kid kind of guy. And you give him this real urgency of like, they're they're on my tail. They'll get here at any second. You know, like you're already in the adventure. This isn't a choice for you. You're caught up in this shit. And then and there's stakes because the inn is is all smashed up. It's all burned up or whatever. Yeah. So you got to yep. you got to rebuild it. Right. They escape to Doppler's place. Jim cracks the puzzle. They get the map. He feels validated that the treasure planet is real and he now has the key to get there. And Doppler agrees to take Jim with him and to fund an exploration. True, truly so many Disney characters like Doppler. Right. The, the, well, there's the, the opening of Atlantis is nearly identical to this. Right. Yes. Yes. Right. I, the, I was getting the guy them confused in my mind. You know, mm-hmm. like, yes. oh, but sir, all my studies. And it's like, uh, yes, <laughs> yes, of course. But, you know, we couldn't possibly. Right. Like that guy. Like Beauty and the Beast. Fucking Belle's dad is basically that guy. Right. You know, mm-hmm. the guy with glasses. Guy. A guy with like a house full of weird like machinery. Right. Inventions. Oh, his inventions. Yeah. I would argue that the Sultan is the Doppler of Aladdin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. He absolutely is. Except he's so dumb. Oh, what a dumb sweetie he is. Yeah. <laughs> he shouldn't be in charge of Agrabah, Griffin. They really need to change things. But all of this is, is really efficient. It, it's also where the, the difference in pacing when you don't have songs kind of becomes apparent. Because you have the sort of Jim I want moment is him sitting on the roof, listening to his mom shit talk him to Doppler, throwing stones, just being sort of ornery. And uh, you're sort of programmed with this art style to have Jim like jump off the roof and take a walk in the woods and sing I Can Go the Distance. But instead, that scene is punctuated by a fucking turtle man crashing and dying. You're making this. We're making this movie sound like fucking the best. I got to say. I mean, I like this movie. I know. I like it, too. I like it, too. It's because it is the best. Okay, so they they commission the RLS Legacy. This is the ship. Of course, you gotta you gotta mention the fact that the spaceport is the crescent moon that they've been seeing out the window this whole time. Very uh, cool. Uh, correction, Emma. You gotta mention that. I, I gotta mention it. <laughs> I give you full reign to mention anything we're glossing over. There's that is very stuff. much your role in this episode, Griff. I feel like the teaser you were talking about opened with the crescent yes. and then we zoom in yes. and we see that the crescent's like a spaceport and that's cool uh love that but yeah they could they commission the ship the rls legacy named after rls robert lewis stevenson right that's the joke mm-hmm. I, I assume yeah uh-huh. yeah yep. and 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 you got captain amelia you got uh emma thompson here she's a cat lady uh, and and you have arrow who's maybe my favorite character design in the movie so, the rock man so cool yeah so cool. Uh, played by Roscoe Brown, Roscoe Lee Brown from Barney Miller, I, dies in this movie. I know that Mister no. Arrow dies in the book. Like I know that that's yeah. Can, but like, how many Disney movies does a character who's not evil die like midway through? Yeah, and isn't a parent. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Right, you can you can lead off with a parent death thing, right? Yeah, but like just in the middle of the movie, it's like, well, he's dead, and it's like he is. We're not gonna go get him. It's like no, fell off, fell off the fucking, and it was tragic. It was tragic. It was sad. 
because even like Muppet Treasure Island gets around that by having Arrow fake his death. Like they were like, we can't kill Sam the Eagle. <laughs> so he pretends he's dead and then he like cakes himself in flour and pretends he's a ghost to scare the other pirates. Right. But right. this one, they just straight up fucking kill the guy. He looks like, so Griff, what is he? He's like a rock monster. Like what's his vibe? Yeah, he's like a rock. He's like a he's like a fucking golem. He's a boulder boy. I mean, I wonder if there's a yeah. species name for the. Some of them don't have names, but other ones do. He looks sort of like the rock, the big rock guy from Neverending Story. Uh-huh. He looks like the rock kind of too. Yeah, or he looks like a rock. But that too. Uh, <laughs> he's he's a big fucking square jawed, broad shouldered rock. It, like just all fucking Doppler like, thinks like, he's the captain because he's so captainy. Yeah, but he's he's just fucking classy, too. He's got this fucking killer red like petticoat. He has no there's no explanation for what he is. He's just a a rock like being. And he he and um, the captain have had like their friends. They've been together for for a long time. So it sucks when he dies because then she's sad. I'm realizing that I probably like him so much because he's just a fancy version of the thing from the Fantastic Four. (laughs) But he's that's but that's cool. What if the thing yeah, was fancy? Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, that's really <laughs> that fucking good. cool. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, but, their no, dynamic but, is is really nice. Yeah, Amelia is cool, too. I like Amelia. I like Emma Thompson, basically. Any, you know, she's money in the bank for me. Like, I, I, I'm, mm. I'm down with Emma Thompson being a I'm, I'm surprised by this. You like Emma Thompson playing a bossy, round-faced space captain? <laughs> Those don't sound With a like, little tricorner hat. You don't like any of those elements, David. She's got cool boots, too. Yeah, she's got cool boots. I feel like Emma Thompson just, she. I was saying this off mic, she's game. Like, what other cartoons has she done, Griff? Um, I feel like what, she's done some other voices. She quit uh, the John Lasseter movie. She was supposed to be the lead voice in this Skydance animated movie called Luck. And then when oh, but right. she Lasseter quit, right. was ousted, uh, they uh, Skydance hired Lasseter away to be their chief creative officer. And Emma Thompson wrote a big public letter saying she could that. not support remember it. That. I remember uh, that. Why am I good f- move by her? She's in Brave. She's the queen. Right. Mm-hmm. She's the mother in Brave. Is there another one? Uh, and she well the well she apparently she's the Yeti elder in Missing Link, which I did see, but I sort of yes no yes she and she's actually really good in that. Yeah yeah. And then of course she's the parrot. In Doolittle, another movie set mostly on a ship. Oh, jeez. Did you see Doolittle, Griff? I forget. No. Did you make it to Doolittle? No. Did I you make it around to that I, one? I've been doing a lot less these, this year. <laughs> and I, I, I pretty much did none on that front. She's kind of the lead animal. That's, that's like his right-hand man is the parrot. It's that thing. I mean, I, I feel like uh, I talk about with you a lot, but that fascinating thing where like for how much she's viewed as being like, oh, this very serious, prestigious actor here in the States because she her breakthrough was being in fucking Branagh Shakespeare movies and Merchant Ivory movies and adapting Sense and Sensibility herself. Like she's this classical actress. It's like, no, she's like she's like started as a sketch comedian. That's like her background. Yep. She yeah. has no ego. She has no pretension, you know? She's sort of a weirdo. She's well, fun. there's that video of her, like, I don't know if she was like drunk or pretending to be drunk at some awards show where she was just like talking and everyone loved it because it was delightfully funny. She's so fucking funny. And it's like, you know, when she hosts SNL, people were like, oh, I'm surprised she's like this game. And it's like, this is what she did. Like to some degree in interviews, she she reads like she's uncomfortable with how seriously American audiences view her. 
She's got a Perrier Award, my friends. It's a comedy award. Right, right. right. And she was part of Footlights and everything. I mean, she came up with Fry and Lori and yeah. Exactly. Uh, I should mention that my... Uh, And she's good in this. My background uh, on Zoom, the creepy uh, wax sculpture of Jim Hawkins, it is a photo of Emma Thompson standing behind it, smiling. With her husband, Greg Wise, and I'm assuming one of their children. Otherwise, Greg Wise, I suppose, has just gathered up a random child but I, i'm going to assume it's uh it's yeah their we want to imagine he didn't just steal a kid he genuinely he genuinely looks like he's doing like jim hawkins cosplay in this photo he's dressed he almost exactly like jim hawkins but the point is david you looked at this and emma thompson is standing over this terrifying wax jim hawkins shoulder and she's got the biggest most genuine smile and you just said wow she really is just game for anything yeah, she's she's game. She's like, where are we going? My, okay, well, let's bring the kids to that one. Yeah, it'll be fun. They'll like it. They'll like the thing. Yeah, which I and also, she's like, you know, I'm in I'm in the movie with this guy. I want to point out she's pointing to the yeah. This opened in February. This opened five months after this movie had been an atomic bomb, and she's like, yeah, I'll go to the opening. Maybe because you know, back in the day, things really would open in Britain way later. Like I know now, they sort of do the global release. Sure. Like, is it possible? It's possible. It came out that much later in Britain because you know in Britain the Thanksgiving release is not a thing that's not yeah. a no one cares let's see when did it come out in the UK February okay okay Valentine's Day okay it was but but nonetheless as you say Griffin she knows the things a stink like it is not a hit it's not like it's gonna make up all its money in the UK because they hear Emma Thompson plays a cat in it no I also saw like the Disney blogs when I was looking up this thing because I'd gone to this my family went uh to uh England uh around that time like that spring of uh, uh 2003 and we went to two shows and there was like that thing included with the admission was Treasure Planetarium, which was the London Planetarium where attendance had gone down. They remodeled after Treasure Planet and it was an entirely Treasure Planet themed laser light show narrated by Silver. And it had these two sculptures outside of it. And it was just my mom, Romilly and myself, I think. I guess James must have been with us. But my dad wasn't there. And we remember saying like, oh, it's included in the admission. Do we want to do this? And everyone kind of went like, why not? And Romilly said, what is this? And I said, this is that movie you saw four months ago. (laughs) (laughs) And she was like, no, I didn't. Yeah. That never happened. Yeah. I didn't see I didn't see no treasure planet. But it was so bizarre to be sitting there and have it treated like, oh, it's your favorite characters from Treasure Planet back again living here. And it was just like <laughs> back in the States, we moved the fuck on from this. Movie. <laughs> it's it's over, guys. Yeah. You, you stop trying to make fetch happen. It's not going to happen. So I was looking at like old Disney blogs that were reporting on when this opened. And they said, like, you know, even though the movie had failed, the attendance ended up being pretty good on Treasure Planetarium because the film became a surprising hit in the UK after bombing in the US. And I was like, surprising hit. It grossed $10 million. I mean, I guess that's fine. Doesn't seem like a huge hit to me. No, it uh, also but, just speaks to how know. much smaller international box office grosses were 20 years ago. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess that's almost, you know, that's not that far from its total American gross. No, so no. I guess that's something. But uh, no, that's not that good. Anyway. Okay, so Treasure em- Planet. They're on the boat. Yeah, I'm I'm jealous that I didn't get to see this Treasure Planetarium thing. I would have loved it. I feel you like you would have loved it. I'm going to see if I can find like a YouTube video of it. 
So, yeah, but we're on the boat. We meet um, a really important character. His name is Mr. Snuff. <laughs> um, he speaks flatulai. What is the language? Flatula. Flatula. Yep. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it, he, he he's makes just got noise. like a lot of. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a lot of sort of noses. What, what, do you, what would you call these little these little things? He's got like a. Buttholes. Uh, like sticking snor- out buttholes. Yeah. yeah it's, he's got like little. I what do you what do you even call them? They're almost like tentacles. It's like suction cup things. Yeah. But they're but they can he can blow air through them, I guess. He looks like a like a big sea slug is what he looks like. He sure does. Another he's got little flesh horns and the horns make make toots and the toots <laughs> are farts. Uh and that's how he talks. That's yeah. language. Uh, ben, ben, another one of your favorite character dynamics is represented in the crew of this ship. Uh big guy who's also a little guy. Hell yeah. <laughs> Yep. You're you're a big fan of this, the Master Blaster, the 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 Quado. This takes it a step further where it's a guy whose head is a squid and then he talks out of his tummy. And there's kind of two separate people, but they mostly stack on top of each other. His body is a face, I yeah. guess is how you'd put it. Right. Right. His What's that his, guy's name? His head's a body and his body's a face. His character names are <laughs> Oxy and Moron. Just want to point that out. Oh <laughs> shit. Ben! Damn, that's a good fucking duo name too. <laughs> Fuck. Emma, do you have like action figures? I wish uh, I or did. Or anything like I don't. I was actually looking up recently, like how much it would be to like get them. And some of them are a little bit expensive, weirdly. Oh, you know what is expensive is the um, art book, the like the official art Hmm. book. The cheapest one that I could find is $220. Jeez. They probably printed like a hundred. Yeah, there's like a hundred of them in the world. Like that's it. Right. And they'll never print them again. And then someone just rushed in and was like what are you doing stop this <laughs> we're not gonna no one's buying these print enough for the families of the crew and then they were done yep um yes uh anyone else cool on the crew obviously there is, i love the introduction of lon john silver where he's doing the cooking i think that in so the way good. his arm works i mean that's the best the way that you don't see it at first and then he turns and he does like the little bow and then you see everything is really cool uh, excuse me, are we not going to talk about Scroop? <laughs> okay, please, keep going. This is what, this is the energy I love. I mean, I feel like Emma is the one who should introduce us to the evil bug man. He's a big bug. Yes. He's a big now, bug. He, he's played, he's played by, um, wait, I, I looked it up, uh, by Michael Wincott. This is why I just right. wanted to shout out Michael Wincott, who I was rude about. We were shitting on. on. Was it the alien, alien resurrection commentary Correct. where I'm like, eh, you know, there's, there's 10 people who can give me what this guy's giving me. People were like, how dare you come for Michael Wincott, you, the legendary villain of the crow. And Top I was dollar. like, all right, sorry. <laughs> right. But, I, but in our defense, when we watch the movies on commentary, we have the sound on, but the volume is lower and 90% of Michael Wincott's appeal is his voice. Yes. Voice. So we were just and looking. And that's why he's a, mostly a at his bug. physical performance. Right. Right. Uh, the man makes a good bug. He gets man good makes bug. a great bug. Yeah. Oh god, he's great. His voice is so scary. I was watching it. I watched it half on my TV, and then I switched to headphones for the like last part because I just sort of wanted to have headphones on. My sound is not great in my apartment, uh, and his him talking is terrifying. Yeah. Uh, it does not feel like a, a, a vocal performance that belongs in a Disney movie. It's genuinely <laughs> upsetting. 
yeah, he's too, a little too scary. I, again, and also just, there's just not a lot in this movie that's, I mean, yes, okay, you have the fart alien, I get, you know, but like, they possibly because there's no songs, they're not cutting the energy, right? Like, so you're kind, you know, it's, it's, it's a little more PG, I guess, is how you'd put it, right? Was this, I assume this was a PG movie. I think he's the only member of the cast who kills somebody. Yeah. And, and brags about it. Yeah. He's like proud of it. He's a, he's, he's a bastard. He's a bad guy. To be honest. Yeah, he's, he's a fucking he's rat bastard. worse than the big villain of the movie. Well, this is my question for you, Emma, since you're, you seem to be more familiar with uh, uh, the original text. Uh, and I'm just colored by Muppet Treasure Island, and I just only keep on referencing, cross-referencing this movie against <laughs> Muppet Treasure Island. Even though I've read Treasure Planet at some point, my default is, well, that's the original version of the tale. The sure. one with uh, uh, the fucking Beaker. Um, this There isn't really an analog for this character in the story, right? It's It's hands. Israel Hands is the bad guy, and he is in the movie. Okay. Can you guess who he is? Which of the aliens he is named Hands? The alien. I'll, I'll give you a hint. The hands are prominent in his hmm. design. Huh. Why am I forgetting this and I just watched this? Because <laughs> there's a lot of fucking aliens. He doesn't really have any lines. I think he has one line. Oh, 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 okay. Okay. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Absolutely. The this guy. The big yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The big, the big oh, guy who's just yeah. kind of got hands. Yes. He's pretty cool. But he doesn't do, he's not a, really a villain. He's just sort of one of the pirates. No, I mean, Scroop feels to me a little bit like them trying to take some of the menace away from Silver so that he can be a more redeemable character. You needed him to be the one to do a really bad thing so that Silver right. can, A, can disapprove of it. Yeah. And then B, be sort of like a little bit threatened by that as well with his like standing with his crew. is like, well, okay, well, if I can't, you know, get first blood with these people, you know, do they even need me? Yeah. I mean, Scroop lets Silver be redeemable as a character and also gives the movie a villain they can defeat. Mm -hmm. And one that they can really dislike. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, it just is so fascinating that Silver is like half villain, half the genie of this movie in a way, you know, <laughs> like he's like, he was so centered, I feel like, in terms of, like, this is our best character. This is the new Disney character that's going to go down in the annals of our, our great cast. Yeah, he'll get a Descendant in the Descendants movies. Right, right, right. <laughs> it It is so funny, like, the way you talk about this movie and, and how well you know it and how you shared it with friends and stuff, this does feel like a movie that is designed to have that sort of online following people charting the species mm -hmm. and like considering the extended universe and all of that and it doesn't feel like disney was playing that game at all as much as they did really like promote this thing and try to push it i don't think they really understood how to sell like a dorky thing like this you know how to make something appealing to people who want to spend time thinking about fictional worlds it was sort of designed to be like a cult object i think right and there right. was no and way that they could get out of that Right. Like this should have had like a tie in series of like young adult paperbacks, you know, <laughs> like, right. Like having a second video game set five years later makes sense. But there should have been a ton of shit like that. And it feels like they didn't prep any of that. Well, and they did. Also, 
they had a whole sequel planned where Jim, like he goes to like the Naval Academy, he gets a love interest, which was like very important to me because that was like my one note as a nine-year-old watching this movie is like, I don't, he doesn't have like anyone to crush on. Like I kind of no, wish that he had a, had a crush. That was what was going to be in the sequel was like, they were going to go, he was going to go to school and he met like a girl and then they had I, to yes, team there's a girl up, involved. they had to team up with Silver again to stop like a a real, a bad pirate, a very a worse pirate. Kate, his his classmate at the Royal Interstellar Academy, yeah. was gonna team up with him and Silver to stop the villainous Ironbeard from freeing the inmates of a Botany Bay prison asteroid. <laughs> this sounds like a fucking blast. This let's let's so make good. it happen right now. Willem Dafoe was on board to play Ironbeard. He was like signed Riff. on. I'm not almost signed on. I don't think he actually signed anything, but they were like, he's going to do it. Now, here's my question. Was this supposed to be theatrical or was it supposed to be straight to video? It was mold for, but you know what I mean? Like, you know, I, I suppose if this thing had been a huge hit, then you could have taken it right to the, I don't know, right? That that's the thing. How I remembered it was like at this point in time, the machinery is so in place that by the time these movies come out in theaters, they're six months away from dropping the direct to video sequel and they're already deep into the TV series. Right. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. all of these had that ready to go. Um, and this is kind of the one movie of this era that didn't get any of those things. Like even after Atlantis flopped, they released the first three episodes of the canceled TV show as uh, a sequel movie. Mm -hmm. You know, Hercules, the sequel got canceled, but the TV show happened. I mean, they just like they they pushed all of these uphill, even like Emperor's New Groove got a cartoon much later. Emperor's uh, New School. Right. This goes didn't to get. Anything. And I think part of that is because their ambitions for this were a lot bigger. Like it felt like rather than have the cash in direct to video sequel that could come out six months later, they held off in the hopes that this movie might be big enough that we could actually make an animated franchise. Yeah, that's sort of what they were going for. I don't think like, yeah. Disney itself was sort of going to was going to was thinking that far. But I know that the people involved in this particular movie are like, yes, we are going to do this whole thing. We're going to do a sequel, maybe a TV. You know, they had it in the bag. All they got was a fucking naval strategy PC game. That's that's what they ended up with. Yeah, which David has already ordered a copy of. <laughs> I, I, I'm intrigued. Yeah, I'm not going to deny it. I mean, I love we're going to uh wait when's this episode posting i don't want to no we, 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 everyone knows we're doing star trek yes um when we get to wrath of khan obviously like i love a uh space thing that just you know invested with naval old naval energy right like that's that's my favorite thing the, a great blending of genres right like and and that's what this is doing and that's great i could almost do with more of it but i like um, this sort of the middle of this movie where Jim is trying to prove himself and it's, you know, just life on the ship is sort of clickish and tough and he can't, you know, you know, pull his weight or he's a free, right. Like, I like all that stuff. I like all the sort of like life on the their, boat. Their stuff. dynamic is genuinely very endearing and and it becomes more endearing when the Jim character is less eager than he's usually depicted as being when he's a little bit closed off, you know, uh, there's something mm -hmm. nice about both of them having to break through to the other one, but, but it is, it, it is so 
jarring when that fucking Goo Goo Doll song comes in. And I will say, I kind of like that song on its own, especially as like a 2002 like pop rock time capsule. I think it's a pleasant we, we song. Gotta talk, but yes. when that song comes in, it's just like, man, this movie is a weird combination of fucking things. Like I'm watching like a father son relationship bonding montage set with pirates on a spaceship to a Goo Goo Dolls original track. <laughs> I think that was another like, uh, we're going to go for the boy audience thing that then backfired and made sense more for the girl audience. Like, cause uh, girls love Goo Goo Dolls. Uh, yeah. Perfect illustration. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's clear. They picked the Goo Goo Dolls because Iris had been so big, but Iris was like a romance movie. Hmm. That song crossover is kind of like a sad love song. They're not like a badass rock band at this point in time, you know, and and all of their early fans turned against them when Iris happened and they were like, oh, they sold out. They become the soundtrack guys. And then it felt like Disney thought bringing them on would make this movie edgier. <laughs> ben, do you have a Goo Goo Dolls take? I don't know. Where, where are you on Goo Goo Dolls? I mean, that's a bad name. <laughs> <laughs> wow you're you're out on the name i see no it's a, it's a very 90s name goo goo doll that's all yeah. like it's it is yeah yeah, I, yeah iris is kind of undeniable though right iris that's what i was so gonna good. say iris iris is iris fox it's good <laughs> it's 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 really hard to be cynical about iris and this is like sort of like you know like dollar store iris but that's still pretty good it's still fun to listen to it is very it's similar just, to iris it's also just your brain starts to short circuit because you're so used to see these movies having these musical sequences and to see a fast cut montage <laughs> set to this song is just like this feels wrong this shouldn't be happening it's so jarring it's so jarring in a disney movie it's like when and, and this is the same year when star trek enterprise debuted and it had a theme song with lyrics rather than the usual you know sort of james hornery jerry goldsmith kind of and you're just like no no they're not supposed to like no you can't i don't want to hear about people's feelings like i just want to hear sweeping music and i respect the swing like it's not something disney really went for again i guess like wreck it ralph has musical monta i'm trying to think of like wreck, wreck it ralph other yeah, Disney's. Yeah. i mean when you get to the other side i mean no with the cgi movies it happens chicken little opens with a fucking uh i think a, a bare naked lady song uh i mean wreck it ralph <laughs> has like fucking owl city and shit like it happens until they get back into the princess musicals they do have pop songs and montages like this there's something just jarring about it when you're so used to there's this thing. I mean, it's like part of the issue with why in America uh, animation has always been pigeonholed as a genre, right? Whereas in other countries, it's seen as a more versatile thing. It can fit into different genres. It could be for adults, whatever. Is that for American audiences, it feels like whatever the first major film is in any medium defines what genre people think that medium is, right? So like Snow White is the breakthrough in hand-drawn and people are like, that's – what hand-drawn movies look like, that's what they sound like. Those are the kinds of stories you adapt, and they have music in them. And then Toy Story is the first big CGI, and people are like, they're a little snarkier. They got this sort of adult edge. They're more like... Modern setting. Right. Yeah. It's not a fantasy world. It's what if this thing was a little different than what you know? You know, it's what if you go to a slightly adjacent world rather than fantasy land and you're adapting original stories or more modern stories or whatever it is and then like nightmare before christmas does kind of define that most stop motion films are creepy 
That I mean, that's predominantly the thing. And I just think there is like by the time you get to fucking Chicken Little having bare naked ladies, it's lame, but it doesn't stick out as much because you're just like, I don't know, but Shrek's fucking shitting to all star. It doesn't matter, you know, whereas with this, it just feels uh, odd. I do want to point out, David, because you mentioned Star Trek twice now. Do you know that one of the original reasons why this film was uh, sidelined by Eisner and Katzenberg, uh, the first time it was pitched in 1985, they had just left Paramount to come to Disney. And so they knew what Paramount had on the docket. And the plan at that point, I don't know if it would have been Star Trek five or six. Uh, it would have been around there. Yeah. Wasn't it? It would have been four never made. or five. Right. It was they never wanted made. To- they wanted to do Star Trek Treasure Island. It was going to be, I guess, this sort of, right? Yeah. Like someone's on a ship and it turns out there's like, right? Like you could do that in a Star Trek world, I guess. That'd be cool. It, I'd watch that. I guess, I guess it would be cool. I I have such complicated feelings about Star Trek movies because I'm like, just make them. You know, like that's where I'm like primarily at. Uh, you know, they keep hemming and hawing and I'm just like, just fucking do one. Yeah, like well. stop. You're going to have a lot yeah. of uh, real estate to share those thoughts. Okay. All right. You're right. Okay. Okay. I'm pulling. He's yanking on the leash because I'm going off it. The only Star Trek we're talking about is the RLS legacy sailing to Treasure Planet. Thank you. Just to get everyone back us, on task. Steering the ship back in the right direction. Uh, we forgot to shout out that it's, is it Jim's home planet is called Montressor. Mm-hmm. Great. Great name. Love that. That's that's super cool. I don't the, think that it's an Edgar Allan Poe reference. I was, but it, come on. It, I mean, it is <laughs> right. Like, I, I mean, at least they think it's a cool name. I don't know if it's anything more than that. I think they're spelled differently. I think, think Mon- Montresor and Amontillado is one S. Right. I've looked. Uh, trust me, I've looked this shit up. I, I I believe you. <laughs> I believe this you. is this is. A pet peeve of mine that I think this movie uh, impressively avoids Uh, uh, scenes where people are lying and the actor or the movie or both feel the need to telegraph in the performance. Oh, this guy's lying and he can't kind of keep his story straight. And you're just like, you would sniff it out. Mm. You would see it on their face when they're like, uh, no, I didn't say that. Right. And you're just like you're you're trying to telegraph to the audience that this person isn't to be trusted. But in the process, it makes your lead character seem stupid that they're not suspicious. And I like that the silver scene, the introduction of silver, when uh, Jim meets him cooking, he's he plays it so well. Like silver's a really good actor in terms of seeming confused by everything Jim is asking mm-hmm. him about, you know? Bones. <laughs> yeah. Billy Bones. Right. There's no nervousness. There's no shiftiness. He's sort of distracted. He's like, what are you talking about? But it's like very sincere. And it's only when he sees like the last of Jim's feet, like go up the stairs as he shifts to like, right. all right, this one's going to be a problem. Now we should talk about Morph. We love Morph. Hey, we, how have we not mentioned Morph? We love him. I mean, because this is Morph's introduction. Yeah. I guess that's right. I guess it's right. Of course, he's with uh, John. I mean, I mean, he had to have been pinned as the great merchandising hope of this movie, right? They must have thought, <laughs> yes. yeah. But how do you make that into uh, a can toy? Can you buy a morph toy? Is it just, I guess it's just a plastic blob? Like, it, you can't, you know, doesn't exist. 
there was a morph toy they made that was like a rubbery blob, but it was sort of like a talk boy. So you could talk into it and then morph would parrot what you said. Oh, okay, that's fun. That's what he does. That was, I, I think, their main gimmick. But I'm looking here. All the action figures came with a morph mm-hmm. that was sort of to scale with a kid rather than to scale <laughs> with the figures. And inside the morph was a treasure. You wouldn't know what you were getting until you opened it that's up. That's cool. But it just feels like Morph is just fucking designed to be as adorable as possible. He's so cute. Yeah, because there's there's two big toys. It's Morph and Ben, but but right. Morph is the cute the cute guy. Right. right. Ben Ben's the cool Ben's robot. The expensive electronic toy. But Morph is also right. Morph is like good blarp. <laughs> he is good blarp. I mean, not not that if we have to, of course, acknowledge Blarp's major role in. Uh, fighting the spiders i can't, I can't remember yeah. Yeah. the name of the villains uh, but but no yeah he's good blarp i i, I right, he's the parrot right like right. that's the mm-hmm. that's the role he's occupying that's why he mimics um, things mm-hmm. right which See? i that look i think that's cute and i like his little noises i i feel like morph is the closest you get in this movie to like oh fuck off like you know you just put that <laughs> in to sell toys right but like i i kind of i kind of like morph i don't know i think morph's great i think he's successful they don't overdo him it's also like we've been watching these movies now and increasingly they have five characters like this each mm-hmm. and this movie has one and he doesn't really have any lines right they don't overdo it the scene that I love him in is when Silver tells Jim to like swab the deck or whatever. And he's like, Morph, watch, you know, keep an eye on him. And then Morph's eyes get really, really big. <laughs> it's the perfect keep comic his moment. He's good. He's good. He's, I like Morph. Morph's all right. Morph's he's cool all right guy. by me. Yeah, he's a cool guy. And he like gets people in trouble by like mimicking them, like talking shit about other people. <laughs> he nearly gets everybody in trouble. When he like pretends to be the map later and all, I like all that. Like, you know, they, they, they use the premise of Morph well. That's what I'm saying about this movie. There's nothing in this movie that goes to waste that they like set up and then they just don't really do anything with. It's true. Even, I mean, like the, the solar surfing and all of that, the, that comes the not right tying. Back. Yeah. Yeah. Everything comes back. It's a pretty tight screenplay. Uh, written by Musker and Clements and Rob Edwards, but story by Elliot and Rossio. Hmm. Um, Rob Edwards, though, one of those guys, right? He he works on with them on uh, Princess and the Frog as well. He's a big mm-hmm. sitcom guy. Anyway, look, there's a mutiny. Let's get to Treasure Planet, guys. Let's talk about Treasure Planet. We're not going to talk we haven't about. To bed yet. We're not going to talk about the dad montage, the sad dad montage. Emma, you can, you have every moment in your brain. Uh, no, I just think it's good. I, I think it's nice. It's good when he goes in, like, uh, in the montage in the Goo Goo Dolls song. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he's like helping Silver put the skiff out and then he, you know, Silver jumps in and, and leaves and he has that like, you know, memory flash of him being a little child and his like dad going out to the boat and leaving. But then you go back to the present and Silver comes back and he's like, get in, bud, let's go. That's so sweet. Their relationship is genuinely sweet. I also like that in that montage, they they show that the dad was unattentive even before he left. Mm-hmm. That it's when he not shows just him the little the ab- boat and he's like, whatever. Right, that it's it's not just abandonment as an issue for this guy. It's also just that he could never get through to this dude, and then he disappeared, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it's all good, yes. And then uh, Jim follows Morph into a barrel of space fruit. Uh, oh, I guess this happens after the arrow thing, right? There's, there's the oh, storm. Oh, yeah, you have the storm. The we storm. Can't, we can't forget about the storm. <laughs> 
Storm is cool. The no, storm is cool. Because that's the the black hole and all a that. A star yeah. goes supernova and then immediately turns into a black hole within like 20 minutes of movie time. It's cool. Uh, Scoop, uh, sorry, uh, Scroop kills Mr. Arrow yeah. uh, by cutting his line and blaming it on Jim. It's a story gift that Jim is a fuck up because it means you can blame shit on him. I mean, you have this whole like everyone's doubting him. People think he's going to not going to amount to anything that he's somehow going to be incompetent in his job. And then it's like when he really tries, which he was doing during that whole thing. And then he fucks up again. And it's just it's all the more sad. It encourages his uh, cynicism. Like, I mm-hmm. tried my hardest, I really did, and people still think I'm a fuck-up. Why should I do anything? Right. Then you have Silver's big speech. Mm-hmm. Kid, you got the sun and the stars in you. I mean, <laughs> how dare I paraphrase in front of you? <laughs> um, then there's the mutiny. There's the, you know, the right? That's what's next, well, right? It's a space I'm not crazy. mutiny, but right, yeah, right, you're right. Right, he, he follows Morph into the space barrel filled with space fruits, and he hears them having their argument about... Why is this taking so long? We killed one of them. Why can't we kill the other three? He hears Silver be like, I didn't mean all those things that I said to that stupid kid. Right, because they're like, we heard your fucking corny speech. You think you're in mm-hmm. some goddamn Disney movie? And he's like, no, I, I, I'm i not. I swear, this film's cool for teenagers. <laughs> we said we would have Shrek energy yeah. at all times. Yeah. What are you talking right. about? Scroop goes, somebody. <laughs> exactly but i like i like how fast that moves it's like he hears it happening silver's like keep it level jim comes out of the barrel notices the spyglass realizes silver's coming back down to him and they're just both smart enough to know that the other one knows jim stabs him in the leg and all the fucking chaos mutiny ensues uh, they get to Treasure Planet. Emma, what am I forgetting here? Uh, they have There's well, they have that shot encounter during the mutiny where Morph is like going back and forth, and is like, well, I don't know which one to go to with the map in his mouth, and he goes into the the ropes, and Jim pulls what he thinks is the map out, and he runs to the boat, and then mm-hmm. Silver tries to shoot him, and then he can't do it because he likes him. He likes him too much. And you have this kind of cool escape sequence. I mean, the thing where uh, Doppler says that's more fun than I ever want to have in my life. Ben, was there something we were forgetting? I feel like you had. Yeah. Or am I wrong? Well, okay. I had thoughts about the planet. Okay. About Treasure Planet. Let's go. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, now we're here. We're, right. we're here. It's a, okay. I'm promised the planet, a treasure planet. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Okay. <laughs> Ben's sharpening a knife right now. A whole planet's a treasure. A whole planet's a treasure. That's what you were promised. Yeah. This is what I'm promised. Yeah. We get to the planet. It's not shaped like a chest. (laughs) (laughs) You wanted there to be a rectangular Mm -hmm. with like a lock in it, maybe. I wanted them to turn a big old lock (laughs) and then go into the planet. This is what I was expecting. Ben, I thought I knew where that complaint was going. (laughs) Me too. You could have given me 25 guesses and I never would have come up with. My disappointment is that the planet isn't a chest with a lock on it. (laughs) (laughs) That's when Ben, if he's in the theater, angrily stands up and his popcorn goes over and he's like, we gotta get out of here. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I thought your complaint was going to be the treasure is only the core. The surface is junk. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, why isn't it like a planet made of coins, right. for example? Sure. Sure. But no, Ben took Ben plus. You like that? So if if the planet was exactly the same as it is, if it was junk surface coin core, but it was housed inside a treasure chest with a, a giant lock and key. Yeah, yeah. This movie would be then 10 I'm out of 10 board. for you. Yeah. Absolutely. Yet another Absolutely. layer to the puzzle. Yeah. <laughs> right. It, it it it's a it's a pretty cool looking. It's got a double ring thing looks like going a, on. Looks like a skull and crossbones. Right. That's cool. Yeah. Also, here is where you're introduced to what is unsurprisingly my favorite character in the film. <laughs> I was gonna say I, I just figured this was your guy. Yeah. I figured, you know, Ben, yeah. for one, you love Ben, and for two, you love Marty Short. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, no one's funnier than Marty Short. Uh I, I love I love This is the role you would play. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I I, yeah. I I love uh, uh Ben's in general. I love robots. I'm almost always gonna be inclined towards a robot. Uh, but I I think about despite not having rewatched this film since 2002, I think about this movie a lot in terms of I think this is one of the most successful instances of a character being introduced this late in a film and feeling important, <laughs> really late, being effective, being yeah. entertaining, having an arc. Like usually you introduce a character this late and it's just like you're getting distracted. You're putting too much on the plate. There's not enough time. The character gets short shrift or you're taken away from the main thrust of the movie. But this works. And and he's really introduced in like the last 20 minutes and really feels like a pivotal part of the movie. I think it's more like 40 minutes. If, I, I'm, I'm not going to question you on time codes. I guess he's introduced I did check in the, the last ti- I did check to see like how much time they spend on the ship and how much they spend on the planet. And it's kind of equal. It just It just takes a while to get to yeah. him. It, yeah. it takes a while. I mean, he's obviously he's based on the character from the book. Uh, what's ben Gunn. Ben Gunn, yeah. yeah. Who, who's the guy who's on the island. Right. And, uh, and he also and, knew but I j- Captain Flynn. Obviously, he's like yes. one of his crew members right. who was marooned. So he's gone crazy. But since this, since the time in escape in this movie is so long, they had to make something that would live for long enough to. He's lost his mind. Literally, doesn't, guys. doesn't know where to find That's it. That's what I love. And just to make it clear, because we're talking about uh, what Ben Gunn usually represents in different adaptations of Treasure Island. I don't remember which one in particular, but in some adaptations, he is um, a very fabulous pig who has become a diva from being stranded that long on an island by herself. <laughs> and and to, at any point does he, did, sorry, does she say hiya? Is that something that comes up? Uh, probably. <laughs> That's the thing I, I like in Mother Treasure Island, though, that it's like Sam Arrow, not Sam Arrow, but uh, uh, the captain and Ben Gunn have this romance, and she's mostly angry at the fact that he left her there on the island by herself. Which is fair. Yeah. And then they sing to each other while hanging upside down from a rope at the edge of a cliff. That movie fucking rules. I, I, I haven't seen that movie since I was a kid. I should rewatch it. But we'll we'll do it one day. Brian Henson, underrated director. I don't blame him for Happy Time Murders, but I'm telling you, you look at Christmas Carol, you look at Treasure Island. He was a good visual stylist. He was. He was. I mean, they're, they're good looking movies. I, I think he had the potential to have like a Frank Oz career. And I feel like he got stuck with sort of feeling like he needed to run the legacy 
we we were talking about the the genie sort of beginning of the end thing where it's now like oh you just hire a comedian and have them do their persona in an animated movie right like mushu is just eddie murphy but he looks different mm. uh i feel like this is a character like mm-hmm. despite the fact that it's recognizably martin short and that in the way he changes energies changes topics he's a little bit jiminy glicky it doesn't feel like he's just doing Martin Short. It feels like he's really serving the specific function of this character in this movie. He only does voice stuff, like, yeah. basically after yeah. this. What were you going to say, Amber? I was going to say, I love when he glitches out and, like, mm-hmm. is trying to remember, like, really hard and then can't. It's a good moment. I, I, all that stuff. Like, how when there's a countdown late in the this movie, eyes his go- eyes <laughs> turn into a clock. Yeah. Love that. It, Love I just that. think like th- the animation is great. The design is great. He looks so interesting being in CGI in this more flat world. And the vocal performance is incredible. It's it's just like it's rare that a character can pop this hard, this deep into a film. When we finally. Well, I guess there's actually yeah, there's actually a lot of time before we finally see the treasure because the whole standoff with the pirates who kind of like do a little siege right you know all that i will say this is where the movie slows down for me slightly i like ben but i don't know am i crazy is ben emma are you mad at me for saying that no it's fine i mean they do like they sort of go back and forth a little bit too much because like jim has to go back to the boat to get the real map and then he has the fight with scroop and then he you know scroop gets pushed into the space i like that i mean i like getting rid of scroop but right yeah it doesn't it's a little it gets a little bogged down here after a very sort of yeah, propulsive start. The movie's been propulsive. The plot definitely slows down here. Ben really becomes the motor for this chunk of the movie. But also, it's they're kind of taking a breather to get a lot of answers out. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're sort of answering the mysteries so that then you can go back to more action in the last 15 minutes or whatever. Yeah. And they're beefing up the the, the Doppler Amelia romance there, right. right? They're having they're having a little moment there. But like you know, I, I let you know. I like it when we get to the treasure, when we get to the big old mound, all that stuff, and and how Silver's sort of final act plays out. That that's what I was. I'm more leaning in again. Uh, yeah, it's also like you know, you're really showing off the potential of uh, the the premise uh, treasure uh, island in space, which is uh, holy shit, that's a lot of treasure. That's more treasure than I usually see in Treasure <laughs> Island. That's an entire planet's worth of treasure. Yeah. This is a fair amount of treasure, right, Ben? I oh, mean, you're yeah. happy with the, the, yeah, the scale of the treasure. Absolutely. I'm, ha- I'm real happy. I mean, right. you just wish it treasure was treasure rules. Yeah. I mean, like, in general, treasure is fucking great. Baubles, jewels, gems. Yeah. Uh, I was going to ask Ben if he would go on a, a space voyage like this if there was the promise of. Of a, a treasure he planet. He pay at the end. you to do that. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. <laughs> Can I go now? Yeah. Do you have, do you have any idea how many emails Ben has written to Elon Musk saying I think there's treasure out there? You got to give me one of these ships. <laughs> it's just there's the thing about treasure versus like a boring ass modern movie where someone gets like a bank deposit. It's like there's just so much. How are you going to fit it all in your pockets and shit? Like you know what I mean? It's overwhelming. Have any of you seen that Shark Tank episode where a guy pitches, I think I know where some treasure is? 
I, I, I I'm obsessed not. with it because it's like it's it breaks the format. It's like so different than any other quote unquote business that's happened. And the guy comes is in. Is he like, does he have a shovel and he's like, let's go? Or is he like, I need your help with like renting a boat yes. or a yeah, plane? Or like, yeah, finance correct. my voyage to find yes, the treasure. Right, right. He's like, I know where it is. Right. I'm 99% sure. I don't have the money to actually get there and to transport it. I need the resources. But he's that's just such like a, a good co- idea. I know he's like an to unassuming. To the sharks. Like yeah, he's like money. He's like 60 years old and he just comes <laughs> in. All these other people do their big theatrical song and dance. And he's just got like a TV that looks like the TV that your teachers would roll out to show you Gettysburg or something. Like it's on that little like black roller stand. And he just presses play on the video and he's like, this is a treasure. I think it's worth tens of millions of dollars. Who wants to go down and help me find it? And people are like, wait a second. I'm sorry. I need to define. <laughs> are you pitching us that your company is some sort of experiential treasure hunting thing? And he's like, no, I have located one treasure. I lack the resources to get there and to transport it back to land. If you fund my expedition, you get 50% of it. <laughs> I'm assuming none of them go for it. I'm assuming no one took a flyer on him. None of them go for it. They're just, but, but they're like, I don't know. This is like not the kind of thing I invested. And then one of the sharks, I forget who it is, goes, I'm sorry, I'm out. I invested in one of these a while ago and it didn't work out well. <laughs> Like, I'm not doing yeah. another treasure right. hunt. God damn right. it. Like, like, like four out of four, five sharks are just like, I don't know. This feels like a wrong use for this show. And Damon's like, I've been burned on too many treasure hunts. I'm not going to make this mistake. Again. <laughs> it's how I lost this, this yeah. eye. Yeah. Goddamn treasure hunts. <laughs> it's so good. Um, but yeah, then you get back to like, you know, the, the film sort of ramps up the action again. You realize the treasure is at the core it's at the center the of the planet. of the mechanism, as he says. They have the they did the big door. The big door, which I, shows yes. how Captain Flint was doing it all this time. He was like flying his ship through this thing. I think that's to really go cool. to like whatever planet he wanted to, like a Stargate. Very cool out of Stargate or that great Star Trek episode, and like love that as an innovation. Exactly, like you know that was his treasure hunting you know mm-hmm. curveball that's how and i love that he's a skeleton love 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 that uh, uh, like what's that bend line where he's like here yeah. he is like flesh and in blood flesh, except like no flesh and blood skin, right in the flesh, organs or anything that resembles flesh that's not <laughs> right yeah. that's funny ben's got <laughs> jokes <laughs> he's good funny and creepy and then i love ben putting his thing back in and being like right the whole thing's gonna blow up right that's what i right, forgot right right the reason they took my mind was so that i wouldn't warn anybody about the thing that's about to happen is fun it's also fun that like you know the ben gunn character or benjamina gunn uh, depending on which depiction uh, you're watching uh is is that it's like oh it's someone who's sort of got like madness for being isolated in this place for too long stuck away from society and then this is literally like his mind is broken like he just doesn't have the programming he needs he doesn't have the chip he needs he's got the incomplete puzzle to know what's going on here he forgets that they're laser trip wires and shit um i yeah it's just that's all uh awesome i think that's cool and that works with like, how do we make this robot crazy? Like, what do we yeah. do? You take the mind. Why? What's the reason for taking his mind away? Well, they booby trap the thing. Right. So you have to. Yeah, if, it all works. It also like it helps amplify the premise, all the door shit. We are like, that's why he was able to get so much more treasure 
than mm-hmm. anyone has ever gotten before. And that's also why he was able to evade capture, why no one was ever able to find him or the he planet. He disappeared without a trace. Right. Like, I like the idea that it's like this guy had this fucking secret key to just running the table on the universe. Yep. Uh, but his ego was so big that he, even if he died, he wanted to make sure that no one else ever could could get the sort of same bragging rights that he had. He's he's a cool dude and I respect it. I respect everything he did. I like his energy and and I think that I you know he deserves his booby-trapped treasure planet. He's a cool, scary scary-looking pirate ship. The the solar sailor comes back around because, you know, there's the thing where Jim like uses a the little engine piece. We skipped a big little moment here. A big mm-hmm. little moment. What did we skip? We skipped when the thing starts blowing up and everything's, you know, the like crevasses appear and the treasure falls. And then he gets in the ship and Silver follows him and is like, oh, we're going to, yeah, let's get out of here. And he's like threatening him with a knife or whatever. And then the thing comes and Jim falls off and Silver has to choose between the boat or his yeah. new it's, it's a great moment. It's, it's so it's, good. It's, it's actually a little tense. I actually was not sure Maybe that's ridiculous to say, but like I was like, I could see Silver turning here and being doomed with his treasure and Jim figures it out himself. Right. You know what I mean? I don't know. Well, it's scary when you have him hanging there, like by his like the tips of his fingers when those things like are going into the wall. Like this is just like it's hopeless. Uh, It's also like I think it's a testament to the movie setting up a different tenor up until that point that you're like, this might be a Disney film where they let the fucking mentor character die, you know? Mm. Yeah, or at least, you know, be disgraced because it's John Long John Silver is a villain. Like, you know, so I could I could, you know, and and then he's like, yeah, all right. Or, whatever, you know, then he then he, you know, does his thing. And, and I like it. I'm like, all right, good for you, John. I guess you have to. Yeah, you got to keep him around. And then somehow they make it back to the door. I don't know how they did that because everything was sort of going to shit at that point. Sure. <laughs> That's the one right. the one oh, plot well. hole that bothers me to this day. But whatever. Um, but I like, I mean... Wow, Cinema Sins, Emma Stephanie. Yeah. 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 We're up to like 60 sins at this point. Uh, Jim cobbling together his, his uh, you know, last second solar surfboard. Uh, you know, getting Silver's trust and support. And the fact that then Amelia and everyone else has to trust Silver as well, that they understand we're all in this together. Silver's like, listen to him. He knows what to do. And they're right. like, okay. It's sort of a redemption moment for Jim as well, that he's earned the trust of Amelia and everybody, you know, mm-hmm. everybody. There are two other characters alive at this point. <laughs> yeah, everybody's I, I, but I, I like that. I, I like that he kickstarts it with Sparks. I think that's cool. cool. I think Sparks are cool. Yeah, we haven't talked enough um, about the multiple modes of Silver's arm because he's got his like detailed finger arm for chopping and hand. shit. Right. Yeah, he's got those little fingers with the little littler fingers on the fingers which he's, i think are pretty cool he's got his cutlass arm he's got yeah. his welding arm he's got a uh, he's got a revolver he's got like an yeah, old-fashioned gun. Gun arm. <laughs> but then he also has like a cannon arm which makes you wonder why would he ever use the flint revolver arm <laughs> if he also has like a sonic cannon because <laughs> it's traumatic okay <laughs> it's got flair yeah no but it's cool Every time that arm like flips around and a new thing comes out. So it's just a cool fucking dude. I remember drawing like diagrams of like trying to figure out how he could fit all this stuff inside there because it only flips around like one time when he does something, yeah. when he gets something new. Like there's not like an order. It's not like a Swiss army knife where he kind of has to go through the whole thing. 
was this like the biggest movie of that decade for you or were there like <laughs> five other movies you went this hard on? I'm just trying to figure out. I guess this and like Atlantis maybe were the two where I was like, the, this is the vibe that I want for my cinema now. Like this sure. is, and then nothing like that ever happened again. Yeah, no, it it died. Yeah, they killed it. It's funny that you watched this movie and you were like, finally, they've gotten it right. And then everyone was like, close up shop. Let's make sure we never make something like this. And again, I had no idea until years later when I was like, oh, that I didn't watch that. I heard that like sucked and didn't make any money. I was like, what? Are you crazy? I always thought that Mars Attacks was beloved and a blockbuster. Like, I mm -hmm. thought Mars Attacks was Independence Day because at my tiny school, we all loved it and, like, brought the fucking ray guns and played with them on the playground and shit. And I was just like, yeah, everyone loved that movie, right? It was humongous, but apparently America wasn't ready for the rude gambler. So, yes, Jim activates the door just in time. Yep. And then I, I find that final silver scene really sweet. I cry every time. I've seen that movie a bajillion times and I still cry. But even like I remember as a 13 year old being taken aback by like, fuck, this is like getting to me. Mm -hmm. It's 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 very sensitively done. Like it didn't, you know, they they make the effort. Like when you mean when he's letting Silver escape when he's down in the. Yeah. The and then he goes, or whatever, down in the, you know, yeah. and he's acts like he's not doing anything. And then Jim opens the door and he's like, go on. It's good. It's just it's just what you've been talking about this whole episode, Griff, just like sincere, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, not not too goofy or jokey. And that's the energy that's probably costing this movie an audience. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's consistent with the story they're trying to tell. It does feel like they basically realized their passion, like, right? Yeah. Like, I hope they did. Like, after 20 fucking years, I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure they were disappointed it didn't do well, you know, and all that. Well, hopefully they listen to this episode and are are relieved. I hope so. Uh, <laughs> Emma, do you know about the, the Glenn Keane thing with that final silver scene? I don't think so. So he said he based it off of his football coach in high school. Whoa. Uh, I think I did read this that. somewhere. He really wanted to be a football player. He was a halfback mm. and uh, everyone else was a lot bigger than him. And he really wanted the head coach's support and he seemed to be the head coach's favor. He worked really hard, got starting position. Uh, he played three plays, got the ball once head coach took him out, put the other guy in for the rest of the game, never played again and was crushed. And then he said uh, afterwards in the parking lot, the assistant coach, Mickey Ryan, a great guy who spoke with his heart and always had a twinkle in his eye, put his hand on my shoulder and said, Glenn, you're going to do great things. You're going to get that starting position. That wasn't right. What happened? And I could see that he really cared. There were tears in his eyes and I started to cry too. I lived that scene with Jim and Silver on the boat when Silver encourages Jim after a big setback. It was one of those things where you try to animate what you lived through and hope you can even get close to it. I think that in a nutshell is why there is such a surprising emotional potency to that relationship is it's like he's 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 basing it off the fucking guy who made him believe that he could accomplish something in his life. Wow. I love I'm it. Talking, That's great. I'm crying again. I'm crying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm crying again. But it's uh, it's it's very sweet. And then uh, all pencils were thrown in the garbage and Disney never <laughs> right. Disney burned all the paper it's like in that, their office. It's like that Domino's meme where it's like Glenn Keane gets a pep talk from his coach and then it, like the bigger dom the domino at the end is yeah. like Disney animation stops production forever. <laughs> <laughs> it's so I mean, because like Princess and the Frog is 2009. Is that correct? Yeah. 
I think so. Uh, that sounds yeah, right. It sounds it's, right. It's Let's one of those that. things where uh, like there's only seven years between the yeah, two and it feels like so much longer. It just felt mm. like such a cultural shift in between these two movies. Right. You're going from one or two a year to nothing. Right. Yeah. It's, it's the same gap as uh, Batman and Robin to Batman Begins, where it just felt like, oh, are they never going to make a Batman movie ever again? It's been seven years. That's a lifetime. All right. Let's play the box office game. Uh, can, I, can I just say uh, asterisks onto its box office performance? Do you know this is the first studio film that was released in IMAX? Yes. I did not know that. This was the first simultaneous IMAX release because Disney had started doing re-releases of like Beauty and the Beast and Lion King and IMAX. And this was the first day mm. and date theatrical movie to also go in IMAX. Wow. It's a little yeah. cool as hell That's crazy. IMAX. Yes. Yeah. Are we okay? Are we going to talk about the fact that the ship was animated from the inside so that they could move the camera around? Are we going to talk about that? Well, we should. You're, you're talking about it right now. Because I'm talking. Talk I'm going to talk mean, about that, it. That's the that's the tech that's in Tarzan too, right? Where they can kind yes. of move through the jungle with like that that cool sort of 3D environment thing that they that like. I feel like that was Tarzan's big selling point. I remember that being yeah. Cool. Just the way they move the camera is much more advanced in this than the stuff we've been. Yeah, that was their big thing. They were like, we we wanted to feel like a James Cameron movie. And in that mm -hmm. sense, they're very lucky that it took 20 years for them to get this movie made, because this is kind of the first moment where you could really pull it off. It's a visually very impressive movie, I would say. Right. There's a really, really cool shot that I noticed this time. I mean, I'd like I've noticed it before, but like this time around, I actually like scrubbed back and watched it again. When during the mutiny, Amelia Doppler and Jim are making their big escape in one of the longboats. And uh, after she like pushes the lever to open the door in the belly of the ship, Amelia runs and it like zooms. It, it, it like follows her running across the thing. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but that's like I had never seen that before or since in like a hand drawn animated movie. That sort of like that little detail that would probably be in a live action action movie but not in an animated movie like this. Yeah, camera movements were really, really difficult up until this point. I definitely hooted at a couple camera moves. Mm -hmm. And then you get that really good moment in the earlier when like Jim and Silver are having their sort of like face off when Jim's like, do you ever know this guy named Billy Bones? And the camera's moving around the thing following them. That's cool. Also, Silver's eye is so goddamn cool. Whenever you go into like Silver Vision, yeah. it's so awesome. But yeah, the end of the movie, Silver gives him a handful of treasure so his mom can rebuild the inn. And uh, uh, Jim joins uh, Starfleet Academy and and inspires a video game that David has already purchased uh, on eBay. That gave David has already Googled, like, how to play Treasure Planet video game on, like, modern Windows. Right. <laughs> like, my computer's like, what? No. It was just a PC game, right? It was not on any platforms. Just PC. I don't think so. Just a, yeah. just a PC game. Okay, box office game. I, I just, I remember like this being one of the few times that I saw box office predictions be this off. Like when people were writing their pieces oh, really? on Friday, they were like, look, it's going to underperform, but it'll get like a default Disney number one. It'll make like $25 million and it'll end up at 80 and it will be a flop. And then it was such a fucking radical flop it opened on, on this thanksgiving weekend to 16 and that's like the five-day weekend yeah. or whatever and 
number four. It's the biggest new movie, but it's being beaten by three holdovers. Right. That's the other thing. It was like it seemed like it was easy for it to take that number one slot. Yep. It's certainly of the new movies this week, but no. Number one, Emma. It's a film you just watched. Griffin, it's a sequel. It's a fantasy sequel. Oh, oh it's two. No, it's not two towers. It's a Chamber of Secrets. Chamber of Secrets. Yep. Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, which in its third week has made $200 million. A big old hit. Dobby's in that one. Uh, and a big, big old bug. I don't know if you know that. That's the year where Potter and Towers both come back with their second movies and they're like, what if a spider? Well, the, the Lord of the Rings spider is in the third one. Well, and I, I'm stupid. I'm fucking stupid. I'm a loser. No, you're not stupid because he's in the book, but he wasn't in the movie. Yeah. Uh, ben, you're a Dobby fan. I know, Ben, you've been watching the Harry Potters. Just yeah, for fun. Um, over like the holiday break, I watched all of the Harry Potter movies for the first time. For the first and time? He'd ever? Never, never, never seen them. Wow. Yeah. What, are the, what is that like to watch them now? After like years and years of everyone being like, I can't believe you've never seen. Yeah. Like, like um, I just did. It was um, underwhelming. <laughs> But you like Dobby. I like Dobby. No, I like parts of it. But yeah, it is like there's so much like cultural stuff that I missed out on that I'm like, oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. I guess now I know what you meant when you were like, I'm a total Hufflepuff or whatever. <laughs> um, but Ben, I ask you not to talk about our private conversations. <laughs> right, right. I'm, I, I apologize. Um, but I would say what was wild, too, is watching the progression of the CGI. Mm-hmm. Mm, yes. From yeah. troll to like where they end up. That's pretty wild. It's insane how bad the CGI is in Phosphorus Stone, given that it was so great. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Uh, I've been watching them. I started this week because I got them all uh, here. And I just got to Azkaban before we did this. And it's very funny, like, how good Azkaban looks, even for then. Compared to uh, Sorcerer's Stone and Chamber of Secrets, it's it's uh, the art direction is much better in that movie. Even if the CGI is still dodgy, you accept it because at least the design is good. Mm-hmm. Like the like when Lupin turns into a werewolf, that's genuinely so freaking scary. But yeah, it looks weird. Right on an effects level, it looks terrible. But it's he's just a good filmmaker. He knows how to make it tense. Okay, so Chamber of Secrets is still number one. Number two, David. Um, it's a classic, uh, an entry in a longstanding series that often is in November. Uh, is it Die Another Day? Die Another Day, a bad movie. Very bad. Oh boy, is that movie bad. Um, but a big hit. Uh, it's real stinky. It's also funny that people forget that that was the highest grossing Bond movie up until that point. Like it was one of those cases where it was a massive hit and they were just like, we need to change things. Like they they had the perspective to go like, people are going to be irate if we do this again. We cannot trick them twice. We need to reset. It's true. Yeah. Apothea. Everything is a mistake. They've, they've gone too far in every direction. The product placement, the globe trotting, the CGI. Yeah. Everything. Madonna fencing, all that shit. Yeah. The, the, the puns, ev- everything, everything, everything. Now, Griffin, number three, it's a series we've been talking about a lot recently. It's number two in a, in a series you just rewatched. Uh, SC2, baby. Tim Allen, Elizabeth Mitchell. The Santa Claus to the Mrs. Claus, the best rom-com about people in their 40s of the early 2000s. Diane Lane, come at me. At f- five weeks in, it's beating Treasure Planet. 
Disney must have been angry at themselves for that one, right? It has it gained 20% this week. It gained Griffin despite losing 700 theaters. That's how well it's doing. The Mrs. Claus. Number four is Treasure Planet. Number five, it's another uh, animated holiday programmer, Griffin, but it's a different holiday. Hmm. Is it Eight Crazy Nights? It's Eight Crazy Nights. Adam Sandler's Eight Crazy Nights. Yeah. yeah. See, that that's a movie I did go and see with my 13-year-old friends, and they were firmly in the theater. They were not going anywhere. Right. Came a couple million within beating Treasure Planet, which I imagine would have uh, gotten some people fired if that had happened. Right. And like that movie was also a huge flop and was but was produced on one eighteenth the budget of Treasure Planet. Right. Made for no money. Right. Yeah. Now you got number six. You got Friday after next. OK. Uh, the third in the Friday series. Number seven, though, I just want to shout it out. New this week. Solaris, Steven Soderbergh's huge budget, romantic drama. Why open that at Thanksgiving? Open that thing in April or something like it's far away from your Harry Potters and your dies another, you know, no, come on. Like you're murdering this thing in the, in the crib. It's one year after Ocean's Eleven and Ocean's Eleven can't at the same time a year. And studios used to think like, oh, if they like George Clooney, they'll see him in anything. Well, they sure tested it with that movie, which I can't wait for us to discuss one day. You've also got Eight Mile. Genuine huge hit huge. Uh, and a good movie. Uh, you've got The Ring, another genuine huge hit and a good movie. Mm-hmm. And you've got, of course, They, the Wes Craven film. They. I do not have any memory of that existing. Me neither. And he, I think he, you know what? You know what? He didn't direct it. It's Wes Craven presents They. Uh, you've got uh, God. I have never heard of this movie. It's a night. Are you saying they like T H E Y? T H E Y. And Mark Lucas, Ethan Embry, the duo. I mean, we you know we love them. You know, one two we call them. Just like absolutely the fucking Hope and Crosby of the two thousands. Lucas and Embry. It was it was released on Blu-ray as a double feature with Cursed. Hey, <laughs> sure. Why why waste space on those discs? You know? And David, when do you think that Blu-ray was released? Uh, not 2003. When was it released? Uh, th- the year was 2012, but the date was September 11th. <laughs> <laughs> this is a fun fact from the They Wikipedia. <laughs> boy oh boy wow they they held off for 10 years and they were like fine we'll put it on a flipper disc with kurtz <laughs> or whatever it's not it's <sighs> not even a flipper disc it's like if you ask for toppings on one side of the pizza <laughs> it's like horizontally one side of the disc is cursed and one side is the no but that's what it, when you play the disc yeah. it just switches between the two movies yeah. the as it rotates it does it, you don't get to pick you just watch them both in chunks. Hey, I want a, a $5 Blu-ray, uh, Cursed on the left side, uh, they on one side. Oh, boy. We did it, guys. The clock is striking midnight. We've talked Treasure Planet. Emma, I know there must be more we have to get to. I know this is a bottomless pit for you. I was going through it in my mind being like, was there any crucial, <laughs> crucial scene that we forgot? But I don't think we did. I think we got it. I think, I think we're pretty thorough. Uh, yeah. Thank you for letting me do I've been holding this in to, like for 19 years. It's truly 
This is so fun for no, me. Because when we were trying to pick out guests for this miniseries, Davis said, uh, oh, Emma should do Treasure Planet. And then we, the conversation just sort of wasn't had after that. And as we got closer to recording these, I said, like, David, does Emma actually like Treasure Planet or did you just suggest her because she feels like the kind of person who would like this movie? And David said, no, she knows every word of this movie. I don't like campaign for myself to be like, you know, I'm always game to be on blank check. But for this one, I was like, if you don't have me on, I will be a little bit upset. But that's why I didn't know. You did the Emma version of a campaign where you at one point, one time mentioned like, oh, I treasure planet. And I was like, oh, no, I know. I know you like treasure planet. Trust me. Trust me, Emma. You know, basically you're on treasure planet unless like Manzukas is like, guys, I got to do treasure planet. Like, right. Like that's that's how I put it. Right. Yeah. I was like, if you don't. If, if you get like maybe like if you got JGL or if you got like John Resnick or someone like fine, whatever, that's fine. But anyone less than that, I would have been mad. Um, we should book JGL. <laughs> we should. We should get him on. This is a loaded We've dive. We've been doing a lot of JGL recently. A lot of JGL. I don't know if there's anything in the we future. We talked though. the walk. We went to the planet and he came in and very generously gave us his time for an ad read. Of course he did. Great ad read. Uh, Emma, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm glad we gave you an outlet to uh, share your treasure planet love. And I hope you've uh, converted some people in the process. The thought that people are going to be watching this movie for the first time just because of this podcast makes me happy. So Disney Plus, it's there for you, everybody. That's the thing. I mean, I'm like, this is the greatest benefit of Disney Plus is just movies like that. This that we're just never getting rented that that people can just impulsively go like, oh, that existed. I should try that. I don't know what it is about mine. Maybe it's just like the stuff that I've been watching. It probably is. But that's been on my front page. Like every time I log in, it's like, you might like they Treasure know. Planet. And I'm like, yeah, I might like. Yeah. They, they should say, <laughs> we know you love <laughs> Treasure Planet. Emma, people can read your work in Thrillist. They sure can. Can follow you. It's Tafabski. Um, and they can uh, look to the stars and see you cruising along. Yeah. Catch, catch some of the light coming off me. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and uh, thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks to Joe Bowen, Pat Reynolds for our artwork. Thank you to The Great American Novel for our theme song. Uh, go to blankies.reddit.com for some real nerdy shit. And go to our Shopify page for some real nerdy merch. And uh, go to our Patreon for uh, Star Trek talk. I, I fucking held David back from going off the leash here because we're, we got hours of Star Trek talk behind the nifty little paywall for you. My, my neck is chafed from the tugging he was doing. Yeah, I believe, uh, to be clear, the next Trek we have post. Oh, no, coming up uh, very soon is our Return of Jafar episode. And then uh, the search for Spock will. Um, we'll go searching. I tune in next week for uh, Princess and the Frog. Seven years later, Musker and Clements, who had been fired from Disney and thought they were retired forever, are, are called back for one last mission. So they think. Bring back the pencils, boys. So that's, uh, that's next week. And as always, I just want to share a trivia fact from the IMDb trivia page for this movie. It is listed under spoilers. And I'm curious. I'm looking at your face as I read this, Emma, because I'm curious to see if you know this. At the end of the movie, Dr. Doppler and Captain Amelia, two aliens, it says in parentheses, got together and had children. A few lines cut from this movie revealed that Dr. Doppler, the male alien, 
gave birth to the children himself. <laughs> Disney ordered the lines cut because they thought males giving birth, even male aliens, was too risque for a children's movie. <laughs> I didn't I didn't think I'd learn anything new about this movie today but I sure did <laughs>